Hey guys, welcome to Minefields. My name is Joshua Michael. This is my best friend, <laughs> Colin. Uh, he's in Tulsa. I'm in Colorado Springs. It's been a day of weird uh, revelations. Number one. Kind of, yeah. Colin here has never heard the song Rollin' by Limp Biscuit. And I am uh, all the better for it. I bet. That was the, that was the first song that got me in a dance floor in a, in a club. Really? Yep. I don't even know what it was for me, but I know it was a 70s song because the first time I ever danced was at a high school dance. Nope, nope. It was a 70s theme party. I'm wrong. It was DMX's party up. It was at this (laughs) three-story, it was at this three-story tall club that had a dance floor that like was, it was called the Globe and it it, like, it went three stories up and the dance floor was on the the bottom floor and you could look up all three stories. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was DMX party up. Huh. It, just real quick, and I know there's some of you out there that are reeling that you just heard the word Limp Biscuit. Some people are vomiting. Yeah, I know. Uh, the one thing that really bothers me about Limp Biscuit is that when Wes Borland left, and he, the, the cool guy, the guitarist, and he, he got all these awesome new friends like uh, Josh Freese and uh, Danny Loner uh, and Maynard James Keenan. And they were forming and making great music, and they, they did a track off the Underworld soundtrack that kicked ass, and then a couple of years later, Limp Biscuit said they wanted to get together, and uh, they stole him back, and he ruined his career with more shitty Limp Biscuit music. Ugh, sick. The second, second weird revelation was the Back to the Future Part 1 oh, del- yeah. d- del- deleted scene I found. And I thought I'd seen it all. Like it, it's the scene that starts out where Doc is uh, asked, he's getting asked by the cop if he's got a permit for his new weather machine, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, I got it right here." But they zoom in, they show he hands him a fifty, which had to have been about at least a thousand dollars in nineteen fifty. Oh come on, it was a hell of a lot of money for <laughs> it was a hell of a lot of money. somebody, but. And then uh, McFly's like, he's like, "What's wrong?" And he's like, "I don't know, man. I don't know if I can uh, really hit on my mom." He's like, "You're not gonna hit her." Just gonna put the moves on her, and he's like, "I don't know, Doc. What if, what if I do and it works, and I go back and back to the future, and I'm gay?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Whoa, dude, yeah, Whoa, that, not acceptable even for then." <laughs> Pretty much, no. I mean, no. we think about uh, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, and they, oh, Bill, I missed you. Oh, Ted, I'm so glad you're alive, or whatever. And then they hug, yeah. and then they break apart, and they're like. Fag. I'm like, I'm still amazed that that was a whole thing that we were putting into mainstream movies in, in the in the eighties. But I, I, authentically, I remember growing. We're going to get really serious if we go too much longer into this. But like, I remember growing up and specifically feeling like. I didn't know what it meant to be gay or what it was to be a fag, but, like, knowing that it wasn't okay, it wasn't something I was supposed to do, it wasn't someplace, something I was supposed to act or yeah. whatever, 
And because uh, it seemed to me like you, it was calling somebody a spaz or something like that. And I, uh, that persisted heavily through the early 90s, at least to, until after the 90s. Or not, not the after, the, after I graduated high school, because I graduated in 95. And, South Park um, still gets away with it. South Park, um, South Park is uh, always doing everything, I think, with the best of intentions. And they get an outrageous amount of slack from me, for sure. I still think South Park is probably the most important and culturally relevant cartoon ever. Uh, they, they, they do a good job of roasting everyone, don't they? They really do. They, it does not matter who you are. They will nail you. I still love the. I do love the episode where they decided that a that a that a that a fag was a like a motorcycle. It's some jerkwad that drives right. around blaring his motorcycle engine as loud as possible. But uh, <laughs> I'm glad you brought. And so hey, you know what? Yeah, I, you know, it, I don't know when it was that I actually was like, dude, I I don't care if someone's gay or not. Like I'm I'm over it. Don't worry about that uh, stuff. Uh, don't care. Yeah. When people called me a fag when I was a kid, I didn't think they were calling me gay. They just told me I was being a fag. <laughs> it, exactly. it never meant gay to me. See, it I never remember, meant gay to me. There's there's a gentleman who is in uh in, in the um the state government here in Oklahoma who was is was a sex ed teacher for us when I was in middle school. And he went out of his way one day to explain what it meant to say that you know, oh, you suck or that sucks or whatever. And it was hilarious to us because I don't remember anyone having any idea that that that, that this was something that you did. And we're talking about yeah. BJ's, of course. Like you're sucking <laughs> on a guy, and it was like <laughs> I, I, I didn't I didn't it. know that that's what that meant. I just thought that meant that they sucked. It was just funny because <laughs> he was always like, put a modifier on there, put an indicator on there, because if, if you want to tell somebody that's what you're doing. You know, that's not all right. It's really not okay to be telling somebody that that's what they need to be doing. If you want, you can say, like, go suck eggs or uh, you suck lemons or something like that, which I thought yeah, was yeah, funny yeah. because I always remember the first episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Does, okay. what, does the phrase go suck okay, a lemon that's... mean anything to you? As yeah. from Raphael. Anyway, but I'm glad that you brought up the uh, – I'm totally going to change tracks here. But No, uh, no, wait, wait. I got two points to make. Okay, two points. Go. Okay, all right, two points. All right, so it reminded me of the awesome time in health class when uh, uh, Mr. Delaney, who was also known as Coach. Of course. <laughs> of course it was. He was also a history teacher, uh, was telling us he was double a health class. Double, of course. The sex head class, I want to say, like, maybe 10th grade, and he's like, don't do anal sex. And I'm like, what? Like, what the hell is that? And, like, they're like, he's like, yeah, it, it, like, it, it, like it definitely, uh, it's definitely a better way to get a disease because there's ripping and tearing, and I was like, ripping and tearing, <laughs> like what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I think and, I was concerned about the same thing. Yep. Uh, the other point, I forget. Oh well, there you go. Uh, All right. Well, okay. So I'm glad. Sorry, everybody. This went wait, off wait, awfully rated R wait, right out of the gate. Well, we're not we're not being vulgar. Uh, the, the, Nevertheless, I, I, I hope you all knew when you sat down in your car taking your yeah. kids to uh, the park. And <laughs> oh, let's check in with those minefielders. 
Uh, number two, hopefully no snowflakes are listening to our podcast right now who are about to go see Bill and Ted save the world and realize they said fag in part two. And, uh, was it part two? Was it, I thought it was part two. Thought, uh, definitely part one. I, mean, I was thinking it was like when they like realized they were dead in Bogus Journey. Well, anyway, that's now... Like that's part two. Now it's going to get edited out of every time it gets showed up on Netflix because Netflix edited out Ooh La La out of fucking Back oh, to the Future. Oh, really? Yeah, when he opens the book, you don't see any pictures. Like, nothing. Huh. Like, and there was it, no nudity in that at all. Like, I, I don't remember it just boobies being in Biff's ooh la la. It was just like a lingerie catalog almost. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm glad you brought up uh, Back to the Future because uh, <clears throat> before all of the protesting began two weeks ago, I was, that, that, that preceding week, for some reason... I was just thinking about how great it was going to be getting back to work in the future, and I, I always love the part in, in the first movie where Marty leaves the high school, and he's, he's on his way, and Doc Brown has the multiple different watches in front of the clock tower, and he's like, damn, where is that kid? And that piece of music starting, and that piece of music does so much for me, because it's just, you know, that dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. Dun, 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 dun. And then it turns into the the uh, kooky kind of like, okay, we got to hurry and do this stuff, you know. I'm not going back in that zoot suit. My dad never stood up to Biff in his life. And so I'm, what I'm going to say is if you don't have that score, it's Alan Silvestri who does some of the best Definitely. film scores ever. Uh, I would highly recommend get some get get someplace. I, I've been listening to it on YouTube. I've downloaded it. I've owned it. I have it on CD. But I, 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 I don't know, loading anything. My computer is full. Um, that piece of music, if you find the right edit of it, will carry on right up to the moment when uh, Marty goes through time. And it is a ride. And there are That's so awesome. many different emotional moments in that. Especially, I, I gotta say, I mean, it's my favorite part of the franchise when Marty knows he's going to go back and he slipped that envelope in Doc Brown's uh, coat before he left to go to the dance, and he really just wants to tell him. And as a kid, I don't know why, I just never realized. But, like, something about listening to that piece of music drove home the emotionality of that. And I'm just going to say, you guys, I mean, the next time you watch Back to the Future, really pay attention from the moment... That Marty leaves the high school after talking to uh, uh, can't remember his dad's name now. His dad and his Chris mom. Glover. Yeah, but um, and then and then meeting up with Doc Brown and going into that whole scene right up to the point where uh, the the cable or the tree branch crashes onto the ground. Mm-hmm. That that music is awesome. The snare drum. I, I'm going to stop talking about it now, but go no, check no, it no. out. It's freaking I, wonderful. I, I... I'm glad you brought that up because I just mm-hmm. thought about something I've never realized that is an integral part about Doc Brown's character mm. is that is that because you see it just for a second and then you and then you, you move on because then he's shown him the video when he's like when oh, he yeah. shows him the flux when he shows him the flux capacitor I mean he sees this monstrous like DeLorean and he's still like okay I'm still not sold and then he shows him. He's like, I drew this, and he's like, and he shines the light in the flux capacitor, and he's got that, it works! Yeah, that's <laughs> a good find, moment, too. Like, 
Could, could you imagine if you or, uh, uh, like, Luca came from the future and said, listen, you do this, and you got to get me back. And all of a sudden Hold you got up. this. Think about that scene in Doctor Who where they bring Van Gogh to the art museum. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I, I vividly remember that one. That one's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, or even in Doctor Who when they do the reverse of it, and when he's saying goodbye and he goes back and he bumps into Rose on the way to... Uh, I don't think you've seen the, uh, seen the, one, the new ones. The new ones when he uh, Rose is on her way to the apartment store to go to work and she, he bumps into her for a second, and then uh, she's about to encounter him for the first time as Christopher Eccleston, not as David Tennant. Complete oh, opposite. We're talking wow. About. A, different yeah, doc- a different iteration of the same Doctor? Yeah. But That's like, super cool. But imagine, like, and, and then there was another deleted scene I saw where uh, Doc is going through. Uh, Marty's asking for some hookups to get that, uh, the portable television uh, system, recording yeah, yeah. system set up. And he, he's looking for a connector, and he hands it to him. He's hooking it up, and Doc's going through his suitcase. Because remember, Doc puts his suitcase into the uh, oh, right? into, into yep. the Lorian because he's allergic to all synthetics. And he's like, what is this? Like, cotton, like, I... I thought for sure we'd be wearing like uh disposable paper clothes and <laughs> and and then he pulls out a playboy and he just unfolds and he's like the future is looking really bright <laughs> <laughs> i don't i just i'm you know that's the 80s those jokes were jokes we knew that they were jokes they may have offended some people but it's the offense culture now we're way more concerned about those things cancel them huh so, Cancel them. Yeah, I, I just I'm I'm I feel like it was a good play to delete that scene where he said that he was concerned about going home and being gay. It wasn't uh, even funny. It wasn't even funny. I wouldn't have found that funny back in the eighties. That was just like I wouldn't huh? have even got it. It was nineteen eighty five when that movie came out. We watched it the very next year across the street with their, our girl friends who lived there and. Uh, I mean, I was in the... I, I don't even know. Was I in the fourth grade or something? I didn't even... I wouldn't even have got that joke. So... Shit, that was so I don't even know what movie. it would have been like for anybody to have been gay and heard that. Yeah, agreed. Like, yes. Yeah, like, how much longer would you have had to stay in the closet because you heard that? Because Marty McFly said, you know, because you love Marty McFly. You can't not like Marty McFly. It's really hard not to like Marty McFly. He's a little exasperated constantly, but it makes total sense because he's, what, a 17-year-old kid going through an outrageous amount of duress. I love uh, John Mulaney's joke about uh, Back to the Future when he's talking about uh, how none of us ever ever questioned why this 17-year-old kid is best friends with a 60, 70-year-old disgraced nuclear scientist. <laughs> I, have, I, I was thinking about it that week when I was listening to the music repeatedly over and over, that same piece of music, that I was like, therein lies the prequel. Like, there could easily have been a Back to the Future 4 where they have to protect their first encounter for some reason. And I don't know, maybe that... Uh, a little bit ago, I uh, this is the dumb thing. I went, I went and I bought the DVDs, thinking I'm going to rewatch these. And have I had a minute to do it? No, because I'm, I got caught up with you know, like, really being fascinated by defeating fascism. So, um, well, that's not even me talking about our current state of the world. It was just the kind of shows I suddenly needed to be watching. 
And uh, so I went and I bought those DVDs. There is a version of the DVDs you can get that has all of the animated series attached to it. The Saturday morning cartoon. Those are awesome. That was the first time we ever saw Bill Nye. I don't remember that, but some of those were particularly it, fun, I recall. I don't remember no, much about it, but it, I they, remember it being good. They were excellent. But at the end of at the beginning of each episode, uh, Christopher Lloyd was Chris, uh, was Doc Brown at the beginning, introducing it. And at the end, he would talk at the end, and then he would do a science experiment. And the uh, guy that didn't talk in the lab coat that was making experiment, like you know, performing the experiment, was Bill Nye. Oh, I did not know that. Yep. All right. All right. Yeah, like it, it was badass. Uh, and by the way, uh, Back to the Future Four is considered uh, the PlayStation video game. No way, it's, really. Oh, it's really good. They got everyone's voices back. Uh, uh, Michael J. Fox doesn't play Marty. They've got a very talented guy that's done a bunch of other things where he played someone that couldn't do the old self anymore. Yeah. Uh, be Marty, but uh, uh, Michael J. Fox is still in it. Chris, uh, Chris Lloyd, uh, uh, Thomas Wilson. Uh, oh, Tom Wilson. My goodness. I love him. I love him. Love the guy. Love uh, the guy. Let me, make, let me say one more thing about uh, Back to the Future, and then I think we should progress. But... Uh, uh, and, and this is the thing, guys. I mean, you know this is a very off-the-cuff show. We are totally, you know, free associating here. It's not like we, we... We weren't even talking about Back to the Future today before we started recording, so we're just going on about it. Otherwise, I would have the name of this thing for you to look into. But um, a few years ago, I was looking at Back to the Future seriously, and I don't remember what the compulsion was there, except you just kind of, you know, cycle through stuff, and, oh, I really, uh, that was cool, I should sit down and watch those. Um, and uh, I got on to where there's, like, a live Rocky Horror-style performance of Back to the Future that took place in England. And so they they play the movie, they invite everybody to show up in their classic cards and in hoop skirts and the costumes for the 50s. And they play the movie on a giant screen. And at the same time, there are actors in costume performing as the characters. So you can look at both things at the same time. Just and, like Rocky Horror. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I got really teary in the moment because it was just so it was just about how the the trailer for this thing was so well edited i don't think okay. that and i've say this a lot because we talk about these things there are five things that dictate to you when you're watching something uh how to feel about something well the editing is part of it if you go back and look at old music videos there are like it's not all these fast cuts and now yeah. I see a music video, and it's just it's so fast you can't even tell who's singing. Sometimes you don't even know, but like it's they can a good editor can make or break it exactly. And so in this trailer, it gets you to the point where uh, when Marty just crashes in to hug Doc Brown uh, before he has to go, and uh, that's when he feels the uh, the envelope in his in his jacket. I don't know why, but like I watched that trailer one time. And then I was just in hysterics after that. I was like, oh, my God, I would love to go see this done. And they did it because it was an anniversary. I, it's one of those things, guys. I wish I knew more about it. Uh, if you get on YouTube and you see that, throw me a bone. Uh, I'll probably try to look for it after we record tonight. But, yeah. We've got some great comics, though. Totally. That's what, that's what we're here for. Back to the Future comic, was there? 
Uh, wow. Uh, look that up while I, while yeah, I well, I'm gonna read look it off up. the list. Yeah. It's probably right. by Tops or something. <laughs> and, hey, don't do that. Tops had, Tops had a few good ones. Mars Attacks, X-Files. Oh, there's that. I think they had, what did we, we found it was Starship Troopers or something? Anyway, whatever. No, they also had Xena. Anyway, so we've got Birds of Prey, Black Label number one. Action Comics number 1022. Nailbiter Returns number one. Star Trek Year 5, number 11. I know we did that. We mentioned it briefly yesterday and talked about the episode it is in regards to, but Colin finally got to read it. And we are going into something that is undiscovered territory for, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say for about 98% of you. And the few of you that are that saw the word Korvac that are popping, we did our research. We hope you like what we got. Um, for those that don't, give it a chance because he's not someone that you immediately know as Dr. Doom or uh, Galactus, or one of, or Thanos, or whatever baddie that makes you pop when you hear like this person's going to be in it. Yeah. Korvac Saga within the pages of the Avengers and one random issue of Thor Annual. Uh, we're going to get into that, and especially like the the nuances of '70s writing and uh, what it was like to be an Avenger in the the late '70s. We're talking '77 to '78. Hey, check it. Are you seeing my share screen? IDW, yep. Yeah, of course IDW is going to get a license. Back to the Future Comics by IDW. Looks like there are plenty of variant covers. Uh, they always do. Yeah, I, I, and the, and the um, the uh, yeah we didn't we didn't figure out what that thing was. You know, IDW number twenty three three ninety nine or whatever. What do you how, what do you even call that? Uh, it's it's the it's the same font and everything. So I'm going to say they probably published these in the last couple of years. I just went to eBay and checked it out. So how much are they? I mean, there's, oh, wait, that lot? Let me find the thing. Uh, somebody's got a lot of them. How do I get out of this? For 45 bucks? I don't know, 17 hours, 29 minutes? They could be yours! <laughs> I don't even know if it's a complete collection. Lot 1 through 25 with variants and Tales from the Time Train. That's very much like the uh, cartoon series. All right, so comic books, comic books, comic books. Those are the best things in the world. Can't make Just raise the roof. Like you just don't care. All that other good stuff mm-hmm. that the that the rappers say. It's a lot. It's a lot nicer to be able to see one another now. <laughs> we used know, to have right? to turn off the uh, the uh, the camera for. Yeah, but I got purposes. I got this I got this nifty new dongle for my Apple. Oh man, that's a dope <laughs> dongle you've got there. It's a dope dongle. So dope. This is the second one I bought because I dropped it on the floor and the wires came out. <laughs> so I had to buy a better one. You and your dumbass. Anyways, Birds of Prey. Number one, black label. That means they say naughty words and there might be a booby or two. Uh, <laughs> written by Brian Azzarello, uh, Emanuela Lupacino, penciler, Ray McCarthy, inker, Trish Mulvihill, with John Calise, colors. Steve Wands, Letters, Ivan Rice, Joe Prado, and Alex Sinclair cover. J. Scott Campbell and Ula Moss, very really? cover. Oh, great, another J. Scott Campbell. Fucking, never mind. I've got, uh, I'll lose ten minutes again like I did last time when we mentioned him. Um, all right, so, Harley Quinn, annoying as hell. It's, it's, I'm tired of it. However, this is a lot of fun. We start out. 
And we've got Canary. She gets a phone call from an ex-boyfriend she thinks is drunk and is uh, needing some late-night booty. Uh, wow. This was not a Netflix and chill call. It was, uh, <laughs> it was uh, hey, I just wanted to say everything uh, didn't go so well with us. And I uh, was thinking about you and just wanted to let you know it. And she's like, God damn it. You know, I'm blocking your number. And he's like, yeah, uh, probably. And uh, just it was good times. And what's actually happening is he's working black ops. And he is seconds away from getting his head cut, cut off by an army of uh, Mexican drug cartel chicks that all have uh, Dia de los Muertos school, sugar school type face tattoos that just cut his head off, clean off with a scythe. And Harley Quinn wakes up in a uh, she's she's talking to herself. And this is a new a newer gimmick that they just recently got right. They've done it in the past, but this is something they only recently got right in the recent issues of Harleen is when she's looking into the mirror and she's talking to herself, but the original Harleen, the, 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 the blonde that isn't crazy and obsessed with the Joker that still has patience and, you know, is still an academic is counts. She's counseling herself. She like, uh, she just got the free, she just, I've never seen it before. I'm sure it's happened, but I've never seen it before myself where she gets the free pass from the Suicide Squad. You've done enough time, now you're gone. You're good. We're letting you go. We're taking the bomb out of your head. Uh, Don't screw up anymore. And Yeah, it it started out... uh, The artwork is... It's structurally sound in terms of... uh, (laughs) That's a solid way to put it. I mean, it's not too detailed. I mean, it's it's a lot of washes. It's a lot of uh, solid colors. I would have liked to have seen this with a lot more shading. It happens in certain scenes, and certain scenes it does not. But we're seeing a new Birds of Prey group get together with Harley Quinn. And I'm wondering when this was written, because that Birds of Prey Harley Quinn movie was absolute garbage. I still feel like... I'm too, yeah, I don't know. I like the way it was advertised, and I'm interested in some of the characters in it. I just can't bring myself to watch DC movies. Everybody just constantly tells me that they're BS. And except it, the cartoons. Except the cartoons. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a different a different house, but uh, I don't know. I still want to see Wonder Woman. I'm compelled. I, I, I'm looking forward to this sequel. Eighty four looks. One. Huh? Eighty four looks badass. It really does. <laughs> the Lego sets are already out, by the way. Even though the movie is on hold until the end of uh, viruses, I guess. Uh, real quick, they uh, accidentally revealed what um, the cheetah is going to look like from the Halloween costumes. Oh, really? Cheetah, yeah, cheetah is one of uh, it's her. Look like Kristen Wiig. <laughs> As a cheetah, yeah, it's probably going to look great. Uh, but back to the comic, I don't want to spoil it for you guys. I, I'm I'm not saying that they say naughty words or bad words or curse words, whatever you want to say, uh, as a gimmick. Like when I got it. I didn't even notice it was a, a black label. Like, it was just oh. nice and pretty and thick. And, like, sweet Birds of Prey. Because the last time I fell in love with Birds of Prey was when Gail Simone was re- uh, writing it during Brightest Day. And it was fantastic. Uh, Oracle, I mean, ev- everyone, it was it was so goddamn good. Gail Simone writing Birds of Prey. Only a woman could, could really kick that off. And, um... Oh, your foot hurts? Oh, man. 
I'm just moving it around, that's all. <laughs> yeah, you're just foot real bad today, it's all wrapped yeah, up. Yeah, I really well, screwed up my heel. Sorry, everybody, carry on. Well, they're fighting a drug cartel. This is a this is a deep ops type movie, uh, written comic book. Uh, we get hints that uh, Deathstroke's going to be part of it. The violence is not over the top, but it's definitely afforded in terms of, like, if this was actually happening i could see this really happening uh harley quinn's not swinging around a giant giant mallet and actually winning uh it's it's as realistic as they could put it without these overly super powered people i mean like uh, obviously canary uh that sort of thing we've got that happening but it was a lot of fun and it was thick and it was enjoyable uh the difference between reading a comic book that's a on television, like when you watch The Simpsons, it's 30 minutes, it's actually 20 minutes with, with commercials. Yep. As opposed to when you see something that's 45, that's an hour long, you can put up with some commercials. But this was a solid 45 minutes of reading. Really engulfs you. There's a lot of great human emotion. Like, Canary, she's just like, okay, so he, my, my ex-boyfriend's dead. We hated each other. I hated him. I hated him. I hated him. God, I miss him. Hmm. As she's drinking a beer. She's not hardcore alcoholic. They don't go that hard. Uh, it's not necessary. Uh, the my the standout moment to me was when uh, the the drug cartel they're investigating gets murdered by this uh, evil group of Mexican Dia de los Muertos chicks and their goons. And Harley Quinn rings rings the doorbell and they peek through the peephole and they see Harley Quinn and all it says is "Es la puta de Yoka." <laughs> what is that? Uh, it's it. Okay, puta is a translation kind of loose. It could mean bitch, it means whore. I All read right. it's the Joker's whore. You can read it as the Joker's uh, okay, bitch. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so we, we get semblances that the Joker is, because the Joker is out out to get her. He wants her back, but not in the way that you'd think that he wants her to be your teammate anymore. And uh, you don't even, you, they didn't show his face for some reason. They always showed him silhouetted or just his legs Holding a gun, you see it's clearly him in the, with the gloves. But uh, she's having a real existential crisis here, and so are all the rest of the 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 newly formed Birds of Prey. They haven't called themselves that yet, which I, I think is great because you can't just you can't just form a team and be like, okay, we're Alpha Flight now after yeah. a, after whatever government stooge says you guys are together now. You have to trust each other. No, this is them learning the trust. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what? <laughs> no, it just occurred to me like. What if, uh, what if a team got to? It was just like some dudes, some people, some characters got together, and they were like, "Oh, I guess you know, hey, we really did a good job back there. Let's form a team." Okay, cool. I say we're these guys. Well, I say we're those guys. Let's take a vote. Yeah. No, you can't be anybody. There's not enough room for more teams. We're not gonna re. You're gonna be named these guys. We already have this stuff already printed out and blah blah blah. Like, what if they got stuck being a team name that they weren't particularly into because? The the guild or the the uh, superhero community the was like tribunal. Nope, like all of the defenders got killed. Doctor Strange, the Hulk, uh, you know, Silver Surfer, they're all dead. You have to be the defenders, or it could be something stupid too. Like they'd be stuck like being the Care Bears, or I don't know what. Dude, but you're you're killing me because it it brings me back to the day like <laughs> like like you're, you're you're eight years old, you're on the playground, and okay, I'm Snake Eyes, I'm Duke. I'm Storm Shadow. Okay, we're this. No, shut the fuck up. We're playing G.I. Joe. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. 
Oh, I know, dude. All right, yeah, carry on, carry on. Yeah, I yeah, well, anyway, don't, don't want to go down that rabbit hole. That's another conversation yeah. I had with my son yeah. recently. Daddy, what well, anyway. was it like when you were a kid? I was like, well, you know, I, we, we, G.I. Joe meets Star Wars happened a lot. <clears throat> it happened a lot, but mm-hmm. we're playing... <laughs> Where, I remember they did it in South Park when they were playing the Lord of the Rings when oh, they're trying to return that porno tape, and that kid's wearing a stormtrooper. <laughs> like we're playing, we're playing Lord of the Rings, not Star Wars, you asshole. And he like the kid just storms off all pissed off, and they're they're trying to turn the video back, and they come up across these kids so like, what are you guys doing? We're playing Harry. We're Potter. playing Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> and we Thanks. know we know what they said. <laughs> we know how they reacted to that. We've all seen it. We've all seen it. Sorry. Carry it was on, hilarious. I'm not saying it was right to say that word, but it was <laughs> goddamn fun. Uh, but that's all I'm going to give you for that one, because that one is some meat and potatoes. That is that is a serious uh, sit down with a good glass of wine or a good drink and enjoy the living shit out of this Black Label. I have not been disappointed by any of the Black Labels so far. Um, maybe Batman Damned because of that gimmick with the Batwang right at the beginning, because yeah. it, made, it made it seem gimmicky, but like I... I don't think that was really a thing. I, <laughs> anyway, uh, you don't have any of last week's comics. There's nothing really oh, stuck just the Star out Trek. I got the Star mm-hmm. Trek left over that I wanted to do. I'm going to do Nail Biter Returns. Uh, Nail Biter, uh, one of my favorite Image comics that has come out and since Image came out. They did such a great way to introduce the, the writers and the creators. Okay, so it starts out after you see someone get their eyes burned out with acid, which was like definitely difficult just to watch or really? see and in, instill uh as some like they've seen evil and it's this perfect like haunted house looking place and instead of saying that uh the writer is this it's like a chalkboard at a, a hipster bar nail biter returns uh in the menu and it's it's got a recipe for a kick-ass bloody mary uh and i gotta say i've, I've had a million bloody marys i used to I have a signature bloody mary myself this one looks great i gotta make this one soon I do like um, a good bloody mary every now and then they did that back in the day front bartender obviously writer joshua williamson side bartender writer mike henderson lights colors obviously uh adam gazowski dj <laughs> john j hill so i assume he is the editor uh <laughs> And host Rebecca Taylor, so I assume she probably did the variant. Nailbiter is a comic book that came out uh, past five years where one small town birthed uh, probably about 20 different infamous serial killers. Imagine if Ted Bundy, Dahmer, Bundy, uh, Oso Tool, whatever floats your boat is your favorite killer. Uh, all came. What if they all came? Isn't from it the weird same that town? we have that? It is. It is. It is. And because uh, you because you forget about the victims, you make a Jeffrey Dahmer joke, and you know that the person that's sitting there yeah. at the bar, uh, their brother was killed by Dahmer, and <laughs> remembers being there in the courtroom with them. And that's exactly what happens at the beginning of this. These girls are joking around at a serial killer bar, and they make some jokes, and uh, just so happens Nailbiter's daughter is there. Yeah. After the the big giant, like the place is actually cursed. I mean, like the the city itself. Uh, reason why that's happening, and we're we're going to where you think Nailbiter died, and just spoiler alert, he's he's alive and well. Uh, but the, the the cop that arrested him, that was the actually the main character in the original series, 
didn't kill him or actually really turn him in. He's got him in like he's got him in one of those like underground bunker places where only his hand opens the door and oh, it yeah, opens sure. up and, and and there's no way out and Bruce Banner's sitting there happily happy to be confined. Yeah. I mean, That's right, it's like that. More. Yep. It's like that. And it, it's it it lost no momentum. From from the last one, so have a lot of fun with that one. I didn't, even though you know that Nailbiter's alive, because I mentioned it, it. There's more to the story. You're gonna have a lot more fun. There's actually a bigger reveal, so don't get too pissed off at me. <laughs> and uh, Action Comics number ten twenty two, House of Kent chapter one. Okay, so this one's a little confusing to me. We've got Brian Michael Bendis as the writer, John Romita Jr. as penciler. So obviously, I'm in. Uh, Denny Mickey Inker uh, even more, even more so. Uh, Mickey did Spawn. I mean, like he did so many great things back in the mid '90s that always stand up in my head. And I'm sure he did a lot more stuff, but like I'm, those are the ones that were my favorite. Brad Anderson colorist, Dave Sharp letter. We're sitting in the uh, Fortress of Solitude, which is no longer in the North Pole or Antarctica or wherever the hell it was. It's in the Bermuda Triangle. Huh. And right. uh, Kal-El is sitting with what looks like a more updated version of Superboy from the Return of Superman, uh, after the reign of the Superman, actually, from uh, after uh, Superman died. Remember, there was four of them? Yep, totally. I recall. All right, so he looks kind of like that kid. Huh. His hair, his haircut's a little more contemporary. Actually, more Clark Kentish in the high school haircut. He doesn't have those uh, stylish '90s glasses, you know, the the, yeah, the bottle, right. the circle. Uh-huh. But uh, he he just came from the future or a different a different timeline, and he's trying to figure out who the hell he is. And they're trying to analyze all his DNA. He has memories of being raised by Mom and Pa Kent, and this is what makes me so happy about Brendis, Bendis is that he did an extra gotcha with something I've never seen before in comics or even writing before when like, you, you, okay, we're, we're going to take it to mom and Kent because we need a place to put you because things are happening right now. And they mentioned Leviathan. I mean, this, this mm. is, this is canon. <clears throat> and uh, they take him to mom and Kent and they're like, Hey, good to see you Clark. And, and then this kid comes out in uh Clark's actual kid just came back from the future with Brainiac 5, and they're, like, super good buddies. And uh, it, it's it's intriguing. And uh, this kid steps from out from behind all of them, and uh, we want to introduce you to... God, I can't remember the kid's name. Um, and they're, like... All of a sudden, their eyes flicker with recognition, and they're like, we raised you. Like, imagine if, like, you took someone into a parallel universe... And all of a sudden, the memories of the same people from the other universe infected the other people. Ooh, uh, wow. So that happened. All of a sudden, they started remembering things that never happened uh, in this in this in this version of the multiverse. And they're leaving him there, and we're getting uh, scenes from some really good new bad guys. Lois Lane is back on the beat. Uh, well, not newer bad guys. But we're talking about some uh, some mafioso people that just got brought down, and they're. Uh, luring Lois Lane and uh, Jimmy into a trap. Great suspense. Kick-ass way to start a story. Didn't ruin anything for you. <laughs> Give me some Star Trek. 
Well, I managed to get in and rewatch the episode that pertains to this issue. Uh, and um, that was the thing, because it had been a long time since I checked that out. Uh, <clears throat> so this is Star Trek Year 5. Number 11 by IDW. It is uh, Jason Lansing and Colin Kelly as the writers. Uh, artist is Stephen Thompson, and he did a phenomenal job. Phenomenal job. Gary Seven. Let me look this up real quick. Yeah, the episode is Assignment Earth. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Inker, Marla Keen. Or Maria Keene, sorry, did pages 6 through 20 for some reason. I don't understand that. I didn't see anything different about the uh, the artwork <clears throat> or it. Colorist Car Charlie Kirchhoff and letterer Neil Yuitaki. Um, in the episode, yeah, you've got Gary Seven, who's a time traveler. <clears throat> It's weird because different sources say different things. That he's a time traveler from the 24th century. He says in the episode he's from the 20th century. And he goes back to Earth in 1968, if I remember correctly. I'm going to pull it up. And uh, he's, uh, he's trying to stop a particular orbital weapons platform launch. And in so doing, ends up, because of like some outside influences... This thing starts kind of going to crash to Earth and create a giant, like, H-bomb explosion. And the Enterprise crew, they were sent back in time to monitor this by Starfleet, which is a total cannon pisser right there. That's a super... It just It's a super screw-up. I wish that there was some other reason or way that they would have done that. Uh, because... Of course, it wasn't until, like, the 24th century in Star Trek franchise that the Temporal Prime Directive comes into being, and that's this idea that you may accidentally encounter time travelers, or you might accidentally time travel, do not influence their natural progression. And if, you know, let's say a dude shows up, let's say, uh, like, Back to the Future, let's say that Marty showed up, or Doc Brown showed up, they're, like, blowing it constantly through that whole movie, uh, if Marty showed up now from 1985 and he was like, what's all this crazy technology you're recording on and stuff? And he's like, we can't tell you. It's a temporal prime directive. That's the point. So anyway, uh, in the episode, Gary Seven is sent back to stop this orbital weapons platform launch. The Enterprise crew was sent back in time through a time travel method that they recently discovered in a, in a preceding episode to watch things unfold in 1968. And it begs the question, did Starfleet Tell me. know that they had to be there to create this paradox? That It's a temporal predestination paradox. They had to be there. It would be fascinating if somebody at a high level in Starfleet said, we know that this is happening, blah, 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 because there are time travelers infiltrating Starfleet. Anyway, none of that has anything to do with the issue. The issue takes place sometime after that issue or episode. In the end of the episode, Gary Seven leaves with his awesome cat Isis that can turn into a beautiful woman. And um, he is like 80 years older. So for the Enterprise crew, it's been a blink of the eye, you know, just several months or whatever. It's year five of their mission. Uh, and um, so I guess it's been more than a year. But for Gary Seven, he is a 
senior guy now in his temporal agency. And he shows up on the Enterprise, not explaining himself, but, you know, like shutting the thing down and getting ready to cause a warp core breach. And all of this horrendous stuff is going to happen. It's like, why is this guy that was just our ally here to destroy us? And uh, there's a really powerful moment where initially we have Kirk and Spock having a debriefing about Spock's a- actions on the re- in their recent mission. And uh, they kind of, they kinda, it's not that they have anything to make up for, but it's like a performance review. And Kirk is definitely animated because of, by way of the beautiful way that he is illustrated here. Uh, you know, like when you go back and you look at uh, the way comics are supposed to be illustrated... It's not enough to just have people looking at one another or reacting or whatever. They need to be doing extreme things in, you know, like moments of extraordinary body language, basically. And that's what we're seeing here. And I appreciate that because it simultaneously evidences the kind of physical acting that Bill Shatner would do in these episodes. So they're paying attention to that. And at the same time, they are maintaining their... Uh, they're, I guess, dialectic as comic book illustrators. It's just, it's a, it's a wonderful synchronicity. So um, the point I'm getting to here is that they've dealt with this situation and it's obvious like, okay, well, you know, Spock is going to end up having a command one day. So this was an interesting moment where he had so many different opportunities to try to resolve a situation. Now... Since Gary Seven is on board and he's going to blow up the Enterprise and they can't get him to explain it, Kirk stays behind. And Spock has to take the entire crew, except for a handful of officers, down to the planet that they're orbiting. And it's really, really impressive because they focus in on the eyes and the emotive qualities and it's it's the beauty of it is because uh, let me figure let me see this here the actor who was portraying Gary Seven, da 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 uh, that's Terry Lincoln that's different um, Robert Lansing, it makes me wonder because he has a very particular look. If the illustrators on this this is like a discussion to have at a panel at Comic Con, did you guys watch other Robert Lansing shows? and try to emulate something that he did here that we never saw him do in that one Star Trek episode. I would be fascinated to know the answer to that. Uh, because the characterizations of all of these these performers are so well done throughout this entire book. So just having Kirk... They, they punch in on the eyes. They punch in on Robert Lansing's eyes, on Bill Shatner's eyes, and they're not even the actors. They're just, you know... Uh, characterizations of these actors they're just so well rendered I can't get I can't get over how masterfully presented they are here so they always do that in IDW yeah I'm, like, I gotta say yeah for real like like go back and look at those photos that uh, you were uh, were that lot on eBay uh-huh. look how good Biff was rendered on that cover I, know, I mean like yeah. they, they they always nail it I want to see what the With, interior artwork is is it on is it like on like Donkey Kong or is it cartoony because some of the no, covers were cartoony IDW IDW never does that shit man freaking never legit, man. like they never do like some kick ass artist do the do the cover. 
and then you open it up and it's just dog shit. Oh, like, that's wonderful like, news, man. Yeah, even, even no, now, like I, I stopped short of picking up Superman the the last time I was at the bookstore because I was like, oh my god, is this what is this? Brian Hitch is that correct? Brian Hitch who did the Ultimates? Yeah, and uh, and my man Mark was like, yeah, it's just the cover, man. And I was like, ah, all right, yeah, I wish, I wish that. I mean, I would, I would just oh, check it out yeah. to go through that, you know. But oh, um, they did that. They did that back in the day with the Sandman, man. It would always be this oh, yeah. awesome painted cover, and uh, you'd open it up, and it was like, what the hell is this shit? Yeah. And then forget about it very quickly with how well it was written. But IDW relies on I – mean, just look just at look. these interiors. Can you see from there? Oh, I can, but even then, just feel the paper. The paper is just interior. This is the quality. Paper, they never print shitty comic books. It's made to last. It's artist-proof glossy. Uh, this is the type of th- that's why their comics are always a little bit pricier. Yeah, it's a four dollar book, guys. It, it's a four dollar book because the, the the paper is so good. It's one of those things where you want to wear gloves when you wear it because <laughs> yeah. the second uh, it, it's it's the type of paper when you buy a program of an artist at an, uh, a high end art gallery. Like it's a fifty dollar book because it's like eighty pages, but the paper you can just if if you're good enough just cut it out of the cut it out of the book and put it in a frame and no one would know the difference between a, uh, a, a high-end print that you actually got from the artist uh-huh. or a, a comic book you spent $4 on. They, they nev- IDW never skimps on quality, it, which is why all their books like the Ninja Turtles uh, with Batman, Ninja Turtles with Ghostbusters, Ninja Turtles with Power Rangers, hell, I got the... Uh, I got the... My latest short box I bought was the, the, oh, the Power, Power Rangers, Rangers one. The yeah. Power Rangers one, where they're holding their helmets mm-hmm. from the neck down, uh, a little bit below the belt, and uh, it's 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 Alex Ross quality art. It's gorgeous. It was no, Karen, I'm sorry, no, not at all. Go ahead. I just realized. No, that's all, that's all I had to say. Except they got the uh, White Ranger wrong on it because uh, oh. White Ranger on the right Ranger in the corner, uh, well, in the end is is obviously White Ranger in in his uh, pouch is uh, in his holster. Is the Dragon Dagger not Saba? Which is fine, I guess they. I didn't know you knew that much about it. Way to go! Uh, ah. If for anybody else who loves uh, Star Trek original series and the animated series in particular, uh, Lieutenant Erex makes a appearance in this um, as well. He's in Chekhov's seat, so uh, so he's this three armed alien here that you only saw in the animated series. But he was a regular cast member on the animated series. Um, really legit to stick that in there. So, and this is what I'm talking about. Look at, look, you can see how it punches in. I wish that you could oh. all see this. I oh, mean, this is gorgeous. Seriously, if you like Star Trek at all, I, I you, you know, Star Trek Year 5 is phenomenal. And I'm looking for issues of Star Trek Year 4, especially if it's collected, um, because I want to read it. And then, legitimately, like on the other end of it, the uh, the Mirror Universe TNG era books <laughs> awesome. are freaking awesome, and they are like marker. I don't know; they're either marker or painted. I don't. I can't ascertain what that style is, but f- amazing stuff. Uh, you're not familiar you. with the Mirror Universe, are you? No, I'm not. I'm listening to you, but I'm trying to look something up because yeah, sure. I wanted to. I wanted to bring something to light that I found that is, has nothing to do with it. Except for Star Trek. Hold on. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Go okay, ahead. so let me pull it up. I'm, I'm on IMDb. It's one of those things where I gotta 
go to the go a little bit deeper. Hold on. Okay, so I recently got HBO Max, mm-hmm. and all of the Fresh Prince, the entire series is on there. And only once, <laughs> only once before, I'm getting somewhere with this, guys. It's Star Trek related. Only once before have I ever seen the original full length intro that uh, is actually the, the full intro for the Fresh Prince. Uh, there's like a solid like 30 extra seconds of of um a verse in the song i remember one time i was djing at venue and i threw the i threw the track down it was one in the morning maybe two right before no clubs close at one right two two it was like one o'clock everyone was fully lit at like one thirty. and uh, yeah yeah well I, I threw on the fresh prince of bel-air and i had the full track and i didn't think anyone would care but uh, I, it got to the point where uh, I whistled for the, cla- the cab, and when it came near, when the, he should have said that, but there's a solid 30 extra seconds in that, and this other part came in, and I didn't, I didn't scan the track, I didn't know, but everyone, including myself, was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> like everyone stopped, like, "What the hell is happening?" Did they right collaborate now? and listen though? <laughs> Uh, no, they just got confused and started getting angry until I whistled for the cab, and then they came back in and got happy again. But uh, <laughs> in, in that time, the woman that played Ensign uh, Surreal Rager, or Roger. Surreal and... uh, Rager? Rager, yes, Rager. Oh, that was uh, Lana Chapman. Yeah, that's Lana Chapman. She was in Space Above and Beyond. She was a main cast member she on was that a, show. She was a huge character on that show. Mm-hmm. She, when... During this extra verse, he's on the plane and he's drinking uh, orange juice out of a champagne glass. Is this how the people of the Pale live like? Ooh, really? This might be all right. And he's sitting next. He's looking like he's he's getting handed his champagne flute of uh, orange juice, and he's it's like looking. No, no, just oh, yeah, it was a mimosa. And he's looking. He's like looking straight down this girl's fucking blouse, and then he looks over at the hot flight attendant sitting next to him, and it's her. Oh wow! No way! I gotta check no, that out. No doubt that it's her. I, I I tried to take a snap, but it's got that thing that Hulu and Netflix has. When you take a snap of it, mm-hmm. screenshot it, just goes all black and shit. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I even mm-hmm. I even looked it up. There is no way in hell that it is not her. Uh, I really really like her on that ser- on uh, Space Above and Beyond, and I just I I adore that series. It's a one season series. Guys, look it up for real. It's phenomenal. Um, and, uh, Kristen Cloak, who was in that, she was in the, uh, she was in a, everybody that was on that show was, I think, in an episode of X-Files, because how could they not just trade over? And, Canada. um, yeah. Kristen Cloak was in an X-Files episode, and then she was in, like, Final Destination. Uh, but, uh, uh, jo- uh Joel De La Fuente, who is the... I don't. I gotta say, like it was a very, it was a good, diverse cast, and I was thinking about that when it comes to Star Trek and diversity. Even though we're not looking at when we're looking at anything before Discovery, where everybody's gay and uh, lesbian and not everybody's just not white heterosexual on that series. It seems. Um, like, when you look back, even at TNG, I was like, man, I just feel like there aren't enough black characters represented in that series. But then I'm like, well, yeah, but Jordy is super legit. And even though even though Michael Dorn is black, he's not, I mean, he's a Klingon. 
And I, I, I always felt that the Klingons was the black version of black people in space. It's, and I don't, I'm I don't not, go there. I'm not, be, I'm not being an asshole. I'm not being racist. I'm just saying I think that that was part of it when they wrote it. They were, they were supposed to be the like Cossacks, sort of. So they were supposed to be Russian slash Soviets, whereas, uh, <coughs> but more like Cossacks. Whereas right. the Romulans were supposed to be the Chinese communists, the Chai Coms. So, right. um, and it's interesting because when you go back and look at the legit Klingons in the original series, they were white actors who were made up in brown. So, like John Kolokos and Michael and Sarah, uh, in particular. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be offensive. Oh, no, not, I, I don't I, think I, you I, are. I, 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 I always felt that from. that's what they were. I always felt that that's how they wrote it. Like, they were the black dudes of, of, of space. I, I'm going to say no, just because Gene Roddenberry was doing a morality play so heavily well, that he was that's saying awesome. this is not the that's way awesome. to do things. That's awesome. And obviously I'm ignorant, but I'm not... Well, no, it's all right. I mean, go back... It's, it's fun because when you go back and you see how well-represented people actually are, they may be background performers, but there were so many shows in the 60s that would never have let anybody get away with that. It would have been this all-white group. But, like, right. yeah, when you, right. when you look at the TOS and you see that many background performers wandering around that are just, it's women, it's, it's men, it's, uh, it, it, it is what it is. I mean, even go back to the first couple of episodes of The uh, Next Generation and you got guys walking around in scants, you know? The right. form-fitting uh, skirtish costumes. I don't know what to say. The uniforms. Well, hell, hell even the uh, the uh, formal formal wear, uh-huh. formal uh, uniform. Yeah. I mean, they're they're they're, they're skirtish. It's kinda, I dug it. I don't understand it, but yeah, it's there. I, I dug it. I dug it. I would if if I could have found a goth version of that at Hot Topic back when I was working there back in two thousand one. Oh, I'd been rocking that. the shit out of it. You could do it with fishnets. Uh, I did everything with fishnets back in the day. <laughs> Rad. I right, did everything uh, with fishnets. Let's push ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's... I was going to say Joel De La Fuente from Space Above and Beyond is one of the best bad guys on The Man in the High Castle. I am so glad to see him as a series regular, this many years older, 20 years older, being a boss. He is such a good performer on that show. And it's funny because his characterization of a strong... Japanese villain in that series is nothing like what he really is. He's such a jovial, fun, nice guy. Uh, carry on, carry on. <laughs> All right, so let's do Korvac. Oh heck yeah, man! So you, right. uh, I've got, I've got a trade paperback of it. Yeah, uh, give us a while. Well, I mean, while I'm doing the intro, give us a couple snaps of the front and back. That way, I can put it in the Instagram feed. Oh, okay, you got it. Yeah, I will photograph yeah, and things. Just, just uh, don't just uh, text it to me on my phone. I can because everything goes on my Mac. Right on. But uh, this is this is a difficult story to talk about. But it's all meat and potatoes. You just don't know it. Now, the <laughs> That's tradition. For real. The traditional stories that are told in within Marvel or even DC, it, it'll say blank crisis or age of whoever or uh, fatal attractions. It's it is labeled that this is happening right now. This was not the case in right. the in in the Korvax saga. Now it starts off in a Thor annual nineteen sixty six number six seventy seven seventy seven. Uh, yeah, you're correct. Mm-hmm. All right, so the 
Thor is transported and he there's some terrorist assholes working on some shit and he shows up to stop it to stop a nuclear bomb that's in a random building that looks like a bank from going off and he stops it and he's immediately transported into the future and he encounters the original incantations of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Now, you need to pause right now if you don't know the immediate incantation of Guardians of the Galaxy and compare it with the original Guardians of the Galaxy that came out in, in the late 70s with the Guardians of the Galaxy in the end credit scene of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. There you go, yeah. Starhawk, Martinex, Martinex, um, Charlie 23. Wait, is it 23 or is it 27? We'll figure that out. Uh, who, who else? Who uh, the, the robot head, uh, they're not all in this, but right. pretty goddamn That's close. That's because a lot of those characters also come out of the 90s Guardians of the Galaxy comics. Correct. But and, we've got Yondu. But we've, we've got, got Yondu. Yondu. Do, I, see, that's the thing. Yondu as the Guardians in the movie, at a, in the MCU, is flip switch, flip nothing, switch. nothing like Yondu in the original Guardians. He's and, the last uh, of the who? Do you remember and, uh, uh, what, the Andromedans? The Andromedans, and his fin is giant. It, it like drapes down like long hair, but it still sticks up a bit. Uh, he has the arrow. He does use whistles to manipulate it, but he does have a bow for it. Yeah. And so they they find a, a Thor who ended up in Korvok's uh, secret. Lair, did he end up in in his spaceship or on the planet he created? Uh, it was a planet he created. Yeah, Corvac. Uh, well, they have to it. go there. They go to that planet. Well, well, they go to the planet before they get to the planet. Though they find a floating, frozen in space Thor, mm-hmm. and they unfreeze him. And they, they, I love that they still had the uh, uh, ability for C and to connect dots that. They were unfreezing him the same way they were unfreezing Captain America totally. in uh, in the 60s. They unfreeze him. He wakes up. He's wants to fight. No, we're your friends. Like, we got to figure out what's going on. And we encounter uh, a, a gentleman named Korvac, who is a human, that was taken by the Badoon. Right, right. The, the Badoon are the principal villains of the original... Guardians of the Galaxy storylines. They're their career scrolls. They're they're not. The, they're a totally different race. No, I agree, but I'm just saying that they're the like if you're making the comparison. Oh, I got you. They're all it's the male version of them too. It's the brotherhood of the Badoon. So right. yeah. In in the Guardians of the Galaxy storyline, the Guardians are pretty much the last iterations of the people from very that are that have colonized various places specifically within our solar system and the Badoon have taken over much of the galaxy in the 31st century now one of the things that sticks out and was a glaring omission from the uh, end credit scenes of guardians of the galaxy volume 2 was the glaring omission of vance astro completely and I wonder if it's because he's a mutant character. And if Agreed. Fox had the license for him. If they say, if they in any way reference mutant, he's done. Yeah. Uh, like, like they barely did any justice to Quicksilver and, and Scarlet Witch. Um, obviously, they're probably going to fix that. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know. But it doesn't really matter. 
what matters is is that Korvac was a human kidnapped by the Badoon, and he was in charge of operations. And eventually, he was plugged into enough systems that he mutated into almost like a more evil, more sinister Machine Man. Where he was, uh, he actually looks like Machine Man. Same color scheme. Yeah, a little bit. It's just Same. so bad. I, honestly, I got. I, it was I pretty can't bad. Appreciate the direction they took with this character. No, like it was terrible. He's he's like a centaur, except that instead of being the bottom half of him being a horse, he's like like a chess piece flipped upside yeah. down. It's just so silly looking. Uh, he's like got his legs must be like bound together inside this weird little cylinder he looks like an eighth inch mini jack plug but like man size it's so dumb he he does and half his face is covered by like his like the 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 top half if you if you can look up what machine men look like in the 70s by kirby except like it's over one eye and it's kind of torn and one eye is kind of red like imagine how cool professor x looks professor x looks in the early '90s X-Men comics, where he's got yeah. his kick-ass flight chair. Imagine a cube with a with a with a pyramid at the bottom. It's floating. He's angry, and you can and like his his gestations and the way he talks. He's like, "I am angry. How oh, dare God. you infiltrate?" He's, like, I, that's I, what, I, nobody knew what they were gonna do with this guy. That's the crazy no. thing about it. What they the the frustrating thing that I'm gonna get at with the entire story, and I don't want to s- summarize it completely this way is to say you've got a character that you brought into being at this uh, at the in one moment and you're like this is what we're doing with it and then somebody says we need a guy for a big deal and like let's do something more serious with it like it's impossible for me to take this villain seriously in this Thor issue it's like looking at earlier iterations of Maximus the Mad in the Inhumans, or any number of other places with Marvel stuff, and or then, shitty, <clears throat> or shitty DC bad guys like the Calculator that fights Batman. <laughs> yeah, it, it it came off that silly, just some silly um, one-off guy. And, and it came off like that, yeah. and you, so you, the the issue ends. You're bored and exhausted after reading Thor's dialogue. Give me some, give me some intro on that one, man. Oh, the, oh, let's see. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, Brigands, we have no quarrel with thee. Stand aside or something like that. Or he'll Face get in the like... ire of the, the son of Odin yeah, at exactly. the hands of... And, like, just hit the guy, asshole. <laughs> like, it is For the so golden tiresome. gates of Asgard, yon device will bedevil us no more. Yeah. It's, uh, it's exhausting reading old school Thor. Uh, trust me. Like, it was a chore to get through this one particular episode. Our issue actually, and actually, all the Avengers issues we're about to talk about. Anytime Thor talks, she's like, "Shut up, dude! Like, just <laughs> shut up." Um, they Guardians show up on the planet. They defeat uh, they defeat the evil Brigadier of Doom or whatever. Like, whatever lame yeah, just, name. Just, like, like, we're gonna invent a bunch of like there. These are these are Y list bad guys. They're so like, list. The evil baby. The evil baby. <laughs> I know. The evil baby. I almost brought down the Hulk. Well, you didn't succeed then, and then punch to the yeah, baby has face. Has anybody ever utilized this character <laughs> since then? And it, that's that's the thing. You've got 
you've got a character no one knows what to do with, and his per, his character design is so ridiculous that you have to surround him with with monster types that are actually going to be physically interesting to look at for the reader to see mm. them have some action because otherwise you've just got this guy with this like who's constantly thrusting his arms menacingly <laughs> and, and gesticulating and pointing and pressing buttons and activating some kind of like freeze place Exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's so crazy. So we get out of that. Let's get out of that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going to get some credits here because this is specific. Okay. All right, so uh, you guys got to know this is written by Len Wein, creator of Wolverine. Uh, God rest his soul. Colorist uh, Glennis Oliver, inker Klaus Jansen, letterer Joe Rosen, penciler Sal Bashima. Great work. Uh, before we move on, Pretty you great. have to... In order to appreciate this, I hope you have educated yourself in early or in mid in all Kirby, actually, because this is a complete Kirby-esque, we want it to look like Kirby did it type oh, book. Oh, like the uh, technology and the spaceships and stuff? Yeah, and the, the faces, that sort of thing, and when a things transform. Bit, yeah. Uh, yeah. So bring us into Avengers 167, brother. Okay, so this is pre- this is where it like starts to take a direction that makes a lot of sense. So the '70s Avengers was was an interesting cast of characters. It was made up of the Scarlet Witch, Captain America, Beast from the X Men. Uh, yeah, and and, and uh, just real quick, Beast is silly in this. He's got a real hang up on his. You uh... will talk about that. Yeah. Okay, okay. We got the Vision, and they're married, of course. Vision and and. Uh, Scarlet Witch are married. Wonder Man and Thor. Recently and, resurrected Wonder Man. Yeah. Recently resurrected Wonder Man. Um, so, oh, and the Iron Man, and, of course. Iron Man, and also people don't know, uh, at this time in place, it, the, the rest of the Avengers don't know that Iron Man is Tony Stark. That's don't right. forget. Uh, don't forget that Hank Pym is... Um, Yellow jacket, Aunt, not not the yellow, Ant-Man. Yellow jacket, giant and uh, and Janet is the Wasp. Right, and uh, I feel like we're missing a couple of people. Well, they're gonna pop in eventually. That's the that's the appeal. Yeah, because it. it's a it's always a rotating roster. You know, if you're just MCU fans, which is hey, no problem. Uh, what we're gonna get out of the next phase of it is adding characters and seeing other characters go away and hopefully come back to help solve some major issue at one point or another. So Avengers 167 picks up a little bit later uh, and the Guardians of the Galaxy appear over the Earth with an enormous space station. Nothing like anybody has ever seen before. There is a dinky little shield space station up there and they are terrifyingly close to it. Now this space station is uh, what did they end up calling it? I forget. It's Galactus's abandoned HQ and yeah. Nick Nick Fury is calling for help. Mm-hmm. He's standing next to Tony Stark on this floating orbiting uh, space station uh, demanding that Iron Man and the Avengers show up. Tony Stark has to get into his ship, go back to Earth, get into his Iron Man gear and come back up and, and explain why he was late. 
Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Ex- explain why he's late. And we've got a lot of great gimmicks in the next uh, ten issues. Uh, especially that anytime any damage or collateral damage that happens, like, oh, don't worry, Tony Stark is paying for that. Yeah, out exactly. Of his deep pockets. Or like, or, uh, oh, uh, this bad guy just showed up. Good thing Tony Stark invented this a couple months ago that I just happen to have in my pocket right now, and it's going to save the day. Uh, it, it was like Scooby Doo. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Scooby Doo. That's a good. Okay, so that's that's one of the points. So now let's talk about Beast. Beast is jocular, and we all know that it ultimately has a lot to do with uh, his his self confidence. He is yeah. the idol of millions, and it's funny because for a guy who is constantly concerned that he's never gonna find true love, he does have women in some of these issues when they're out on the streets yeah. of New York like fawning all over him. So that's kind of fun. Uh, the other thing is that there's this uh, pissing contest going on between Iron Man him and the Captain Vision. America. Well, uh, Iron Man, Captain America, and also Vision and Beast. Vision and Beast? Yeah, who shows up to the battle first? And, oh, he's cheating again. Oh, and okay. Vision's so going kind of like Legolas <laughs> and uh, Yeah, yeah. That's that's not as much of a pissing yeah. contest. That's friendly, like, oh, I'm going to get him. And you know the Vision isn't going to, like, oh, I'm going to have fun with that. Uh, it's, yeah. just the, it's just the Beast deciding to do it. But um, good good catch on that one. Uh, there are all kinds... Like, it's, it's interesting because the humanization of these characters really gives you something to sink your, sink your teeth into. And I can imagine being a kid on the bus or walking home or on the train, talking to other kids about these issues and really gravitating towards one character or another because they have a personality. And because even though they might be awesome good guys, superheroes, honorable people with good intentions, they still have personality disorders. Because they are the freaking Earth's Mightiest Heroes, and the stress they're under constantly is more than we could ever imagine. Uh, Agreed. Now, so that, the, that stuff is fun. They encounter the Guardians of the Galaxy on this space station, and they, they immediately become friends after a, after a, a typical, like, we're probably going to be friends and we got to throw down real quick. And I'm yeah. like, oh, wait a minute. You're, you're Thor. We remember you. And he's like, who the hell are you? <laughs> and, uh, no, did he do the hell? Who the no, hell are you? No, he did that to Wonder Man that. later. He, like, we don't yeah, even, we yeah, still, he, he, through all of these issues, we still don't know why that stuff was going uh, on. I, I, that's why I told you not to skim. I'll get to that in a bit. Oh, I didn't. I, um, I read the whole thing. But, like, I never he, caught on to that. I was like, why is Thor yeah. acting like that? You, you missed that part. Well, anyway. Oh, I um, did? So, Thor... Ugh. Thor, Thor remembers them, and he's like, hey, these are young friends from ye old future. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, they're like, okay, so we've got a problem. We're tracking a bad guy named Korvac. Uh, he's this, this, and that. And uh, we, yeah. Yeah, we, we need to find him. But the problem is, is that Vance Astro is alive and well as a 10-year-old boy right now. So Vance Astro, in his beautiful encased suit i loved his suit yeah the, uh, the t- it's like a temporal control uh yeah. aluminum layer or something yeah, he's gonna stay on this giant orbiting uh space station while the guardians go back down uh to earth and they want to find they, they know that korvac is on 
Earth, probably looking for Van, little Vance Astro to kill him in order to prevent uh, them stopping him in the future. I, that's the thing. I don't think anybody knows that. I think that they just assume that's what's going on. They never really ascertain anything. They, they, they barely even touch about it. And, and that's why uh, we're going so long on this one issue, is because it's not titled the Korvac, Korvac Saga. It is now, but back then you're just going through... Uh, Avengers issue after Avengers issue, uh, uh, ten issues, right? I think so. I can't remember. Yeah, it's 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 ten issues, and each issue they encounter a new baddie. You're like, oh my god! If you if you're reading this and have like started reading like maybe around like when Bendis took over back in, after Siege, and you know it's going to be six issues just against one bad guy. It's one bad guy, one issue, and you're like, okay, so this is going to happen. Like, who's this guy? What's happening with these random... There's like two, three pages of some random things that happen. We're going to get into that in a second. Yeah. Uh, it's 167 like, to 177, yeah. And yeah. You, you didn't know when this was going to end. How long could this possibly carry on? And like... yeah, and who's right, this guy? It's, it's, sometimes it's like, okay, so this is just... Like, this is an Ant-Man bad guy that is easily defeated in, one, in, in the same issue. And that's kind of funny. And then like... Right. Later, it's like it's Ultron, and you're like, "Oh, dude, no, no way!" Yeah, and then like another issue, now. it's like it's it's like a C-list Atlantis villain. Like it's not he's not even <laughs> one of Namor's cronies. We'll, we'll, we'll get to him. It's just, we'll get yeah. to him. In, in, in this issue that we're still on, uh, beginning Korvax saga, uh, the bad guy is the porcupine, the worst. Bad guy I've ever seen. He looks like he's wearing he's a full body. He looks like he's wearing a full body, like Hawaiian, like like <laughs> yeah. Skirt. He's just got like sticks strapped to yeah. him. He's and, not even prickly. <laughs> not even prickly. And there's a guy in the crowd that just magnetizes on one woman. And who the hell is this blonde guy? Because it's difficult to ascertain because they're doing it in Kirby style. And all the white dudes look all the same, especially if they're blonde in the background. And, okay, so we're moving on. Mm -hmm, Porcupine mm -hmm. is defeated in a quick battle. Oh, handily. Okay, so the, the cute thing of this is that Janet Van Dyne has moved not on from being a superhero, but into the world of fashion design. And so right. this whole dippy thing, it's like when the red eyes attack the, uh, uh, the night or the, uh, uh, nursing home nightclub at the beginning of the Mystery Men. Uh, this is happening. The porcupine and his goons show up to rob a bunch of high society, like fashion, fashion watchers. And of course, because Hank and Hank and Janet save the day, and um, as does Nighthawk, who then just takes off and doesn't get involved in the rest of this story yeah, at all. I'm out of here. I, I leave. And hey, where the hell did Nighthawk go? Yeah, uh, he just likes to leave, and when he when he when he uh, when he talks, he ejaculates his his proclamations. Uh, the, like I have to use that word when you're reading it in an English book from the '50s. Like it's like so saith the guy that sees. Like come on, dude. Like really, like oh, the, the old talking over. about Star Starhawk. Yeah, the way he talks, it's like he just like Starhawk ejaculates has that because that's the thing with Starhawk. He is not human, and he is. You just get this sense that because 
Okay, star we have to do a character examination of Starhawk real quick. Because, yes, yeah, by this point to. in the story, the Avengers are running around with the Guardians, and they decide to separate. Guardians, we want you to keep an eye on young Vance Astro, uh, or Vance Astro Astrovic, living in uh, Sagartes, New York. Sagarty, New York, yeah. And, uh, you know, major victory, don't come down from, because uh, you're, so you're Vance Astro. And I'm like, oh, what a what a missed opportunity! So many oh opportunities God. to play with that that they blew completely off. And uh, it would have been more interesting to have these stories concurrently happening in Avengers and Guardians, but Guardians wasn't a concurrent title. And that's, um, that's uh, Sylvester Stallone's character, precisely Starhawk. Yeah. Oh damn, he didn't have all the cool like headdress. That's oh, the whole business. Like, I would really hope that when we see them in Guardians two or Guardians three. That Starhawk is gonna like really come out more like this character, but they totally—I gotta say—they totally blew it with Yondu. As great a characterization as Michael Rooker did, yeah, uh, it's Yondu's just, noble. Yondu Yondu's is just noble. noble Native American type character that's approachable. But uh, so Starhawk as a character, he, okay, he is sharing his form like Rick Jones and Captain Marvel are sharing a form. Starhawk is sharing it with his wife, Alita. And they flip-flop in and out of reality with one another, existing in two realities. Like, even go so far, look at like the movie Lady Hawk with Rutger Hauer and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Matthew Broderick. They can't great exist sound, in great the same soundtracks, place by at the way. same time. Was it Tangerine Dream? I can't remember who did that soundtrack. One of, one of the best soundtracks of all time. Right. It was Lady Hawk. Anyway, sorry. So, I know you're a sucker for it. But, uh, but uh, yeah, Star, yeah, Starhawk is a guy that, like, he flies around on these, like, light sails that he puts out. And he has immense power. But we never really get to see him unload a la, like, Black Bolt, who can't completely unload his power because it'll destroy the world. Starhawk, Until this issue. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting because when uh, Starhawk finally figures things out, he's like, I'm the only one that can do this, and I've got Hold to on. do it alone. Before, before, while you're getting there, so he senses something. He disappears while the Avengers are bickering. This issue is called First Blood. Uh, script by James Shooter. God oh, damn, you. no wonder it was that good. Pencils, George Perez, inks, Pablo Marcos, letters, uh, Denise Wall, colors, uh, uh, colors, Phil Arache, if I'm saying it correctly. Um, Avengers are bickering. They all show up. Guardians are having some trouble. Just it, This is a – we're all getting to know each other. Um, exactly. Cap is having a – Cap is having a problem because he's depowered. He's a regular-ass human now. Like, I want to go and back and read that. I don't even know anything about that. I didn't know anything about that like, at all, Like, he can either. still bench 500 pounds, but he's he's not the super soldier serum quality Steve Rogers, you know? Agreed. But he's still kicking ass in the gym. And Star Starhawk, he, he just takes off like he always does. And he shows up at some random guy's house in Queens. And uh, yeah, they it's were the joking. same freaking neighborhood that Spidey lives in. It's yeah. Forest Hills. Yeah. And uh, okay, so this blonde guy with his hot blonde wife. And by the way, if you can see this, oh, she's the uh, one that uh, disappeared. Yeah, I've got that page pulled up right now. 
Yeah, but uh, earlier when we were uh, comparing uh, pictures of the main characters, um, as the the graphic novel that was printed in 2012 that he has, the Korvac, who he's wearing these trunks that he's wearing trunks that he never wore in any of this at all. But he's yeah. in some short, he's in some uh, early 70s short shorts here, but they're not, still not they're they're not wrestler trunks. Yeah, and, it's uh, interesting. He's wearing okay, so. This this the the enemy as they put it because they don't know who they're dealing with and Starhawk will insist it's Korvac and they never have any evidence of it. Um, Korvac is always depicted as a totally buff, muscular white guy with blonde hair, and he's always wearing a form-fitting like pullover collared shirt. And he's wearing yes yeah, polo. Yeah, it's it looks like it's a polo, and he's wearing sneakers and athletic socks, and he's got like bicycle Hold shorts up. on. He just looks yep. like he looks like a guy that's just chilling out at his totally reasonable upper middle class house, you know. Yep. And enter Starhawk and says, "Hey, you asshole, let's do this." Yeah. And they they have the one of the best the. The color scheme on this is gorgeous. Oh, yeah, we were talking... Oh, my God. Yeah, the colors are phenomenal in this. The shading is magenta, fuchsia, uh, hard yellows, different shades of blue, and we see a multi-dimensional, multi-astral yeah. plane throwdown. And I, I'm not using those words arbitrarily. They went through multiverses and different astral planes on these multiverses to have a kick-ass battle and it's within kind four of, pages. The whole time, Korvac is like, you know, you're hitting me, and every time you hit me, you're you're rending the fragile fabric of space, you know? And, like, if you can actually... if if And we're having... I'm having this battle with you now, but I'm also in another reality having this battle with your wife, Alita. Yeah. And... That is interesting. Like, I've never seen anything like that happen before because you've got two who are one, and this character can blend and transcend both of these these realities. You just see, and the raw power that Korvac presents. You're yeah, you're saying it's hard yellows, and then anywhere that you would see shadowing is represented as uh, like fuchsia or something, but then he's got that sizzle effect around him. Like this depiction of energy is Difficult. really... <laughs> I, you see this every so often in Marvel Comics when you've got an electrical character or something like that. It just, it really gets the point across. But when we were thinking about it, we were talking about it yesterday, I think, the idea of it is probably to represent the idea of uh, like photo negatives. So like if you're watching Bill Bixby and the Hulk and they flip flop the colors and light right. becomes dark and it's always just like unnerving to see. They're doing that on in a two-dimensional format in a comic book is what they're trying to pull off. And it works perfectly. It's so rad. And like characters from all over the, M the Marvel Comics universe are feeling the effects of like Starhawk will take a punch and there'll be this... Like microburst of air in uh, that knocks over Peter Parker and Mary Jane. Peter and Parker and Mary Jane. Every uh, people all over the world are like, oh, when they set when something happens, there'll be an earthquake. Like somebody will zap. The, the glory of this fight scene is that when it 
happens, it sucks you in into a vortex and you don't know where to look. And it's the like, I know there's the problem when you got a up and coming comic artist where they're not doing a good job of directing your eyes where they need to go with the, with the, with the dialogue bubbles. And this is the direction it has to go. It's, it's, it's a complete collide. All of a sudden it sucks you into a warp zone kaleidoscope. You don't oh, know where gosh, to look. I know. Yeah, totally. It, 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 it was wonderful. It felt like 10 pages, but it was only four. Like after uh-huh. reading it, and then and then we were talking about it last night, and I went through it. I was like, Dad, there's only four or five of these. I felt like it was like the whole goddamn book. Um, like in, in great expe- expostulations, like like die, Starhawk, and then but then it and then he's not gonna die, but then boom, dust and exactly. the Korvac has him. And by the way, like that's that's the thing is that you don't know this is Korvac the whole time. They misdirect you the entire time to the last two issues. Who the hell this blonde guy is that just because Korvac was just a robot that had you know, half man half robot that cyborg. had ex, ex, a cyborg that had exceptional uh, technological power, not godlike power, and you're like, who the hell is this guy? Hand crushes, seeds pour out, it bleeds across different uh, uh, boxes in in the illustrations, and then do, you're dead. But oh, you know what? I'm gonna bring you back to life real quick because I have that power. And uh, I'm also going to erase your memory of me, and I'm also going to erase your ability for you to ever perceive me at all on that, any scale. That was that was the yeah. I did not realize how important that was going to be until it happens. Later Told you not book. to skim. It, it happens in one tiny panel. It wasn't like three or four panels that they explain it like they do now to get a point Dude, across. I, it happened in I, one tiny panel. That. Look, seriously, guys, I, I read through this and I was like, where the where is the Corvac content in this? And I went through and I, I, sh- I, I, I read ahead and then I was like, okay, no. And I went back and I read every single thing. But like there are just – it just feels so disjointed in some places. Exactly, which is why I have to bring back to that point that like why they – like this was an experiment that they weren't sure to to call the Corvax out of like right off the bat. I don't think that until years after the fact. Exactly, exactly. That's my point. Like this was a difficult thing to read, but it's definitely something that is if you are if you make it through it, if you've got the fortitude to get through this, you are going to be much more knowledgeable. If you wanna, if you wanted to have a pissing contest with your <laughs> buddies that like the Avengers. Uh, it, within this saga, and know so much more as just the way if you were able to read as much, or if you had the fortitude to read as much Adam Warlock that we went through a couple weeks ago. Mm. Um, but that's the meat and potatoes of this issue. So we're moving on to one sixty nine. No, that was one sixty nine. No, that was one sixty eight. Why is the next issue one seventy? Because uh, you're maybe your uh, yours. Hold on, because let me flash. Let oh, me. You're right. Let me, uh, what the heck? I, I'm mine's, going through this. Mine skips an issue because I'm going through this um, on the app. I'm oh, going through this on the, the app, and I'm re- I'm I'm in my trade paperback. So, issue one sixty nine may have had zero to do with this whole situation. Okay, so the reason why I think they included it in the Marvel app is because that's when they pull uh, the um, Black Panther into the fold. No wonder. And, yeah, at a certain point, I was like, okay, so now we're just going to add the Black Panther to this story. Why not? Okay. So that's when Black Panther shows up. So we're going to fast forward into 170. And we encounter Yocasta 
Hit it, buddy. Hit it. Oh, yeah. Jocasta is an interesting character that uh, we've seen a lot from recently in the uh, Iron Man 2020 books and stuff like that. Um, she's a character that it's like... It's hard. She she's a sympathetic being. She's a she's a totally she's a total uh, android created by Ultron to be the bride of Ultron, basically. And uh, as like a revenge tactic, Ultron tried to kill Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp, by taking her personality and putting it into Jocasta, and that was supposed to piss off Hank Pym, and <laughs> it totally does. Because then there are issues, there are situations here where people are like, "Oh, I can't fight her because it's clearly me or it's clearly my wife." It's like it's right. not, dude. So uh, basically, uh, Hank Pym and Janet are moving back into the Avengers headquarters with Jocasta, who they captured at the end of the last Ultron battle. And she's frozen. Uh, she's inoperable. She's just yeah, there. She's deactivated, but she activates on her own accord and. This in and of itself also felt to me, I was like, does this have anything to do with anything? All of the Avengers who are able to end up like trying to chase her and they almost come into fisticuffs with one another because Iron Man shows up at the end and is like, no, let her go because she's going to lead us to Ultron. Correct. And so then I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, it would be interesting if they thought that Ultron was the problem and that would have been misdirection, but that's never what happens. Correct. Uh, that's a real summarization of that issue. So, it's, it's it's basically all you can really say from it, other yeah, than because it doesn't other have anything than, to do with the Guardians. It didn't have anything to do with Corvac. Nope. Yeah, we see Wonder we see Wonder Man be worthless. We see Beast get his ass kicked. We see uh, Captain America still working out as hard as he can. Uh, it's really a personality. Study yeah. for the characters in this horrendous situation that they've been dealing with and where it's going to take them. So to to skip faster to one seventy one, right? The, the oh, hold on, hold on. Before seventy one, my favorite characters out of one seventy were those uh, the mover oh, guys, the mover, the mover guys, the, 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 the mover guys, the the, uh, the Brooklyn guys. Use guys gotta get rid of this craps. And I'm like, fat, like, like, like Simpsons characters. Exactly. Like, like fat talking like fat Tony and shit like that. Like, like, uh, we've got to get out of his, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just cracked up about that. Yeah. There was no guardians in this at all. And yeah. we're, we're on the chase. Oh, oh one other yeah, thing was her down the street. Now, one other thing that we got to remember is that Hawkeye is on his way to New York mm. with, a character I've never heard of before. Oh, like, Two-Gun Kid? He's a Silver Age character. Two-Gun Kid. He just, just disappears. This is when the disappearances really start happening. Good point, is that yeah. all, of a, all of a sudden, uh, this is this is the loosely layered thing that leads up to something even different. That How the hell is this involved? Uh, all the Avengers are, are one at a time systematically just vanishing. No clue where they are. No bit of Tony Stark... Uh, made-up software or hardware can trace them. They're just gone. And Hawkeye's looking for this guy. He's like, listen, he calls Avengers Mansion. I'm on my way. Uh, I'm taking a plane. I'll be there in a little bit. Yeah, he's and, in the Denver airport. Yeah, he's the in the Denver airport. One, the old one. And, yeah, the uh, old one. That's and where then we, we find... also get this daffy scene where uh, this 
this lady's trying to get uh, Carol Danvers to try on dresses, and then yeah. she's just like, she just warps herself into her Ms. Marvel costume and flies off. Because she's getting these sixth sense or seventh sense. Seventh sense. That made me laugh my yeah, ass. Like my seventh sense. <laughs> she's getting these sensations that she's needed in these different places, and who the hell knows why? But like, she's fly- she goes in to deal with them, and it's like she gets a lot of crap from. Uh... So yeah, and it's just these situations where there it's the avengers out on the streets of new york which is just a little bit fun and a little bit crazy because even at this time it feels like after 170 issues that new yorkers would understand that this kind of crap is going on all of the time in their city and uh yeah and yet they still act surprised when everything ever whenever anything like this happens and they always mis- mistake it to be like the Fantastic Four or something, which is a really good recurring joke, but uh, whatever. And then something that Joshua mentioned earlier, the, uh, oh yeah, Tony Stark just made this out of spare parts. That situation happens. Uh, Wanda, I'm not, sorry, not Wanda, but uh, Janet and Hank show up in a little flying contraption. So then all the flying Avengers are flying looking for Jocasta and they're seeing a trail of destruction everywhere that she goes. Until she ends up at this convent. They all end up at a convent. And they go inside and they meet one of the sisters. And uh, so they're inside and it, it, one of them, it's just like, oh, hey, it's, it's, it's Ultron. Just sitting there hiding in a convent. And they, just, just, just there. Like, <laughs> exactly. Like his evil base of operations was a freaking convent. And, and he's got a, a, a rogue... <laughs> rogue oh yeah, rogue nun. nun. <laughs> so, like, I want I want you to get to tell tell the point the way that you did when we get to that. So I'll hand it off at that moment. But uh, the fun part of it is that the uh, they get into this battle with Ultron, and all of the uh, every Avenger okay. seems to have some foil that Ultron set for them, knowing he was going to come into conflict with them. So he's able to like somehow warp. Uh, uh, the Scarlet Witch into a situation that she can't get out of and it's kind of like the mirror dimension in the Doctor Strange movie and then um, everybody's having to deal with stuff but like he did like Ultron didn't factor in uh, Ms. Marvel and Jocasta wakes up and she knows what's going on and this becomes I think foreshadowing for what's going to happen later in the story Um, because Jocasta is the one after Wanda re-manifests herself, she's got powers that Ultron can't deal with. So she weakens him enough for Jocasta to be able to shut him down. And Correct. therein Correct. lies the the foreshadowing, I think, for what what's going to happen with Korvac. But and, uh, it, it's it's gorgeous. I'm so glad you pointed that out because I barely was able to even comprehend that. Yeah. Uh, you you're, you wanted me to talk about the chainsaw. Why don't you talk about that nun? The Ms. Marvel wallops. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so we've got a, a mystery sniper shooting at Miss Marvel like an idiot. Like that's and, gonna do anything to her. Yeah, like like it's gonna do anything to her. And you see like a manly hand shooting. Like it's got to be some dude, like one <laughs> Ultron bad guy. And she's like, "Oh, it's you, the nun." Punches her as hard as he can, as she can. Her head flies off. Oh, she's a robot. Like it, like, it was a thing. Like, oh, thank God she was a robot. I was just punching a 
casually punching a human being's head off its body. It makes um, me think, like, yeah, all of those Spider-Man comics where Peter has to, like, oh, I'm going to get into a boxing match with uh, Flash Thompson. I better not knock his block off, you know? And it's like Ms. Marvel, <laughs> in the heat of battle, just wallops this nun, <laughs> knocks her head completely off. Completely off. It's it's, it's a robot. This it, is, but, like... This is one of several moments in this story where propriety completely flies out the window. And we're going to get into that into the next... Is it the next issue with this guy? Uh, we'll All right, so... We're, is it the fish guy? Yeah, it is. But, like, there's that in this issue but with the, with the nun. But then they're just like, okay, we've got to get, get back on the case. Just leave this destroyed ro- Ultron robot made out of adamantium behind. And it is yeah. no freaking wonder that that Peter Greitch is so pissed at them. So tell us about him, would you? Because I know he's a uh, he's an X Men problem. You're, you're, ta- you're talking about Guy Rich. Is it Guy Rich? Uh, or Greitch? Guy Rich. He's uh, one of the main bad guys affiliated with creating the Sentinels. He just shows up. He's been bitching about it since the early issues we were just talking about. Like you guys are terrible at protecting national security. <laughs> Like he's a CIA like you, operative, right? If, if if one of he's one of more NSA, like one of the okay. like they don't flat out say CIA, but like he's like you do this again, and I'm gonna revoke all your privileges. Period. And uh, they get to Avengers Mansion, and uh, <laughs> he's like, well, he gets Avengers Mansion. And he's like, the goddamn door's open. I know. <laughs> it, it, like, he's already pissed goddamn- off because Count Nefaria blasted a hole in the wall. And he walked yeah. through and tied up Jarvis and gave him a gave him a, a tongue lashing a few issues ago. And now Hawkeye goes through the front door with his special security card. He's done everything right, <laughs> except he doesn't close the damn door. So this like this 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 G man comes in and is just pissed about that. You guys yep. don't well, take you, anything you, seriously. You got it flip flopped. He got there first. Hawkeye showed up and. Uh, yeah, uh, this no. Am I getting it flipped up? Okay, so yeah, Hawkeye no, showed Hawkeye up. Hawkeye shows up first. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he so, shows up first. And wasn't Jairic already there with tar- tied up Jarvis? No, that was that was several issues ago. Sorry, that was like early on. Oh, okay. So he shows up, and the Avengers finally come back to HQ. And uh, I, re- what issue are you on? I feel like you're skipping ahead because we had some technical issues. Was- One seventy-two. Okay, so I'm on 170. Like, uh, that's where we left off. Okay, so let me skim ahead. Let me go through for Okay, so we see uh, Costa wake up. I'm going faster. I'm on 171 now. Hold on. Sorry, guys. We had some technical, technical difficulties. Let me, let me carry on with this then. They all get back to the freaking Avengers <laughs> HQ. And they're oh, all yeah, just I tied like, up this There's an intruder. It could be our enemy. And it's this G-man who's being a total dick about stuff and won't believe them. And uh, it's just it's just so many pages of dense conversation. You have all of these Avengers and everyone has something to say in every panel. And they're all snapping at each other and they're all pissed about one thing or another. And they're all exhausted and angry. And then they have to split up because this fish man comes out of the ocean and starts causing havoc down, <laughs> down at the shore. And they're like, could that be the guy we're after? No, you guys who work on computers and psychic crap, you stay here and try to figure out what's going on. We, we bruisers and hitters are going to go out there and mess this stuff up. 
Okay, so, so what issue on now? Because like that's yours, I think one seventy two. All right, so let me let me get to one. Let me get through one seventy one to make sure I didn't mess it up. Because like we had some technical difficulties, guys. Ah, uh, we're we're right, there. So. We're all right. The beauty yeah. of this, I dig, is that Hawkeye now back with the team. Hawkeye, the guy that just shoots arrows at people, who has an arrow for everything, is actually really accomplishing some crap. And, and one, he's funny. And he's funny too. Yeah, his personality is really really good. Uh, and I gotta say, like I re- like this character that they're dealing with. Apparently, what what is his name? I forget. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm get I'm getting Tyrath there. Yeah. is all right, we're just like up. you guys couldn't fight all of me last time, or not all of you. You guys could defeat me last time. There's no reason why you can this time. But they end up like really taking him down a peg because Ms. Marvel shows up. Uh, uh, she gets knocked out in the beginning she of it, and she comes out. back and beats him senseless. He looks like a like a shitty like uh, like a cross between an Atlantean, uh, both DC and Marvel shitty cosplayer that bought well, everything at Walmart. I'll tell he you what: when so it comes to the Atlanteans, you really like the one of the best Namor stories is the uh, quest for Prince Namor to find the Trident of Poseidon. And this is cataloged in the, or this is chronicled in one of the first uh, Submariner Marvel Masterworks. And the, the reason why is because Kang is uh, trying to usurp the throne as, I've been here all the time and you haven't been. You just got here. There's no reason why we yeah. need to follow you. There's always some Atlantean crumb bum who wants to take over the throne. <laughs> I totally took that from Ben Grimm. Crumbum. And, and uh, he's a total crumbum. And he's guy, a jabroni. This he's guy a is a crony to a pain in the like. If you're reading, or let's say this, you're what you're, you're you watch Marvel or you watch uh, Doctor Strange and Caecilius is the bad guy. I've read loads of Doctor Strange, and I don't know if that guy ever shows up. But Baron Mordo, I totally get. Yeah, but we don't have any stories where Baron Mordo shows up in any of the other stories. He's always only messing with Doctor Strange. This guy, Tyrak, is a crony to a villain who is specific only to Atlantean stories. So that makes this guy definitely a C-list character with idiotic powers. He's overpowered for what he's got going on, but it kind of makes sense because Submariner is outrageously powerful as an Atlantean. So it's fascinating that they they are able to take this guy down. It's kind of like fighting Submariner that doesn't have all of that like amazing right. justified rage. And uh, cuz this guy's just trying to prove himself to his own people by counting coup on the Avengers or the surface world. And the funny thing is that they eventually realize like all Atlanteans are like all we had to do was dehydrate the guy. <laughs> and then they're like, "Okay, well he's going to die." So here comes another one, like the nun and like leaving a trashed Ultron behind. Yeah, they're just, just like, leaving the we head there. We can't fight this guy, but we don't. We like we can't defeat this guy, but we don't want him to die, and we don't have time for this crap. So Wonder yeah. Man just like backhands him back into the ocean, <laughs> unconscious. They know he's gonna come. He's either gonna come back more powerful than he was. And Vision says this really prescient thing. Um, he, we're not gonna be able to do this. Do what we did more than once with this guy. I was like, okay, that's awesome. I really appreciate that kind of like yeoman level learning. And uh, so then 
the dude it essentially just Hold on. goes into the water and disappears. The disappearing act starts happening. Vision See, disappears. That's that's where that makes me laugh my ass off. Okay, let's go back to the nuns. Okay, because first off, uh, you don't just if if you've read Age of Ultron, you know that if you find an Ultron head, you're fucked. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, even if you find it in a cave and it's 8,000 years old and time-traveled, you know you're screwed. Because that's how the Age of Ultron story started in the comic books, guys. Uh, by the way, if you, uh, we're going to do that soon. Uh, if Age of Ultron came out before the movie Age of Ultron came out. It has nothing, it's nothing in the least bit uh, Honestly, similar I'm gonna to, to the Honestly, I'm going to say the Age of Ultron comics were just superior. cash grab. It was a cash grab, but it was superior. It was good up to a point, and then it stopped being good. That's my take on it. Well, when Wolverine stole... uh, Yeah, uh, we're going to do the long box. (laughs) All right, all right. right. Well, anyway, uh, so they leave the uh, nearly destroyed adamantium carcass of Ultron, and the the nuns are like, hey... We the nuns head off. We're making Tony Stark pay for everything. We We are punching a guy back into the ocean... And we're leaving Ultron's body behind because we don't have time to deal with all this crap. Yeah, I was cracking you up last night because I was you've you've never read the original version of the Tick, right? Right. And I I had like just on a whim read the first uh, twelve issues and the shitty uh, remade, not remade, like faux version of thirteen that Ben Enlund never made. Yeah. But when they first encountered the uh, Chainsaw Vigilante. And he attacks Arthur. He's like, "You're a superhero." He's like, "Yeah." <laughs> Zoom! Like he fires at the chainsaw. He's uh, making Arthur repent uh, <laughs> and never to be a, uh, a superhero again. And all of a sudden, he, just the the tick just comes. His hand just comes in the frame and just squeezes this guy's head. Irk! <laughs> and this guy bothering you and just like he he's crazy. <laughs> just throws him into the the windshield of their their bobcat, <laughs> their Buick bobcat. <laughs> okay, wait, don't tell me any more about that. I can't we gotta well, read those. Well well It's like that. <laughs> the the chainsaw vigilante gets up and he's running away in the most comical fashion. Great silhouettes. And he's like, You're just letting him get away. He's like, Yeah, I am. You just don't know the idea of uh finesse. Sometimes you gotta let the super bad super villains get away. Okay, I guess they got some finesse there. That like yeah, we're just really, gonna ba- Wonder Man's just gonna backhand Tyrak back into the ocean. Ah, uh, you know, yeah. we can't go after him. We don't have a submarine. Yeah. Let somebody else deal with that jerk. We've got we've got the enemy to deal with. Yeah, imagine the Avengers breaking into your house to deal with a DF-less character, bad guy. <laughs> they punch him into oblivion right away, and they all take a shit, use your bathroom, trash the place, eat everything out of You're your refrigerator. You're going to eat these Doritos? <laughs> yeah, and then they just leave, and, and then that's basically what happens. The nun's like, we'll, we'll clean this up. You guys get the hell out of here. Thanks for dealing with the evil robot that took over our convent. Yeah. I didn't see uh, any other nuns except for the one robot nun. And then the, the, the pissed off thanks, but no thanks. Get the hell out. Oh. And uh, All right, so Vision disappears, and we've got a problem because we didn't mention earlier, but Quicksilver living in... Um, Adelon. Adelon vanished, and she's dealing with the, the vanishing of her husband and her brother. No, right. Well, Which, yeah, Wanda is... So then... 
We've got Black Widow and Hercules are flying in to try to figure out to help figure out what's going on. Oh, but that's this, one of the funniest gimmicks is their their civilian travel. Oh, I know. They're <laughs> stuck on civilian flights and but uh so the last frame of issue 172 has a, you know a bunch of Avengers stuck in these tubes in the background and somebody's watching everything that they're doing as if that makes any sense. Completely and, silhouetted and you just see the hands. Exactly, oh. the hand of Dr. Claw. And I'm like, okay, so now we're <laughs> getting somewhere. Like, I understand what's going on. You skip to the next issue. No, screw you. That's not what's going on. You're still <laughs> being misdirected. And I'm like, how many issues left of this is there? I don't understand why this is going on like this. Yeah, this one Blondie. really we, starts to make things make sense, and I this appreciate just it. Dates. It's where it gestates. We start out with Blondie, bad husband. Hey, bitch, get the hell out of my house. Get out, get out of my study. I'm in my smoker's jacket, and I need absolute concentration. Yeah, and, real uh, dick move. Like. <laughs> real dick move. And uh, she's crying. And, oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, she offers him a drink, or like a hot cocoa, and he's like, no, I can just manifest that myself. Voip! And there it is. <laughs> and I'm like, his, just let her go make you a cocoa. hot cocoa. She's he's got a bustacious blonde, uh, seventy style. She's crying. Well, she's, and, uh, of, she's that model from uh, Janet's uh, uh, correct, yeah, uh, fashion show. Correct, but the thing that confuses me is when during the fashion show, why is this guy looking at me? Exactly. Yeah, they they never explain that part. Um, they don't. They guy, really don't explain that. That's why is this guy looking at me? Because this woman is actually. The Collector's Daughter, and we'll get to that later, who was sent to destroy Korvac because the Collector sends his existence, and he sends his only daughter, and I guess he sent her back with no memories, which made no sense to me. I mean, there's there's a there's a few plot holes there's, here. There's things like that that are totally infuriating as, as writers, in that they're just like... I'm going to send you away with no memories, but when you... Are in the moment, your your soul, your goodness is going to come through, and that's going to change something or whatever. And it's just like that's kind of like I don't know. I mean, there's any number of metaphors that make sense. Like uh, you're gonna you're gonna go out well, of the house knowing you have to cut somebody, but it comes, cut somebody's uh, wrist ties, but you're not gonna take your knife because you just know you're gonna find one when you get there or some crap right. like that. Now, this is where the real meat and potatoes of the Corvac saga really takes off. Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of fun here's the with traction. some... Here's the traction. Exactly. Great, great term, man. Great term. Okay, so he shoes her out of his study. He's in his smoking jacket. And all of a sudden, he starts imagining all these cosmic figures. And when you bring cosmic figures in, you can't just accidentally bring cosmic figures into the Avengers because... Most people don't care about that sort of thing. That's a 70s thing that's only recently got more popularized because the Guardians of the Galaxy have, has gotten a lot of the cosmic stuff off the ground, which I am so thankful for because that's mm -hmm. what we want. It's, it's good meat and potatoes. And all of a sudden he starts imagining that the Watcher is watching him, but, but all of a sudden can't see him. Right. And that Odin senses something but can't see it. Zeus senses something, which we rarely see in Marvel Comics. Uh... uh Mephisto senses something, and he's gradually erasing himself from existence that the most powerful beings could 
ever even since, including Eternity himself. Dude, in, that, uh, do you, I'm, I'm impressed with that page. That is a full splash page right there, and it, it, is, almost, uh, it is almost Jim Steranko-esque. Absolutely, and I'm so glad you brought that up because this is one of the things we talked about last night. We were talking about how Matt Price brought up from Speeding Bullet Comics the page-by-page covers of a a scan of an original comic that hasn't been yellowed uh, from uh, just acidity and just being exposed to uh, oxygen, nitrous in in the air, as opposed to the digitized version. But zoom in. Well, you can't zoom in because you've got the. Uh, I'm zooming in. I'm seeing pixelations. We're, we're seeing dot matrix on this one. Oh no, and, I get what you're saying. Yeah, like it's definitely like recolored in a couple of places. The furniture is recolored, but they did not do that to eternity in what I'm yeah. looking at. So this splash page is amazing because Korvac is there in his pajama, his leisure outfit, and he's centered. And he's in color, but then he is surrounded by like this yellow and red, like burst invisibility energy. energy. <laughs> and we don't know what that's supposed to signify, but he's standing in the center of his living room. And it is a well appointed living room with appropriate furniture and stuff like that. But the long shadow of eternity is covering the entire room. It's, it's really it, it, just something you got to check out, guys. Absolutely. Especially if you are an art student and hate perspective. If you look at the photo um, or the page itself, the, the shadow extends the way it should as if Eternity was in the room and reeling as if he'd been hurt. But he didn't know what he was hurt by. And Yeah. And at the same time, we still have to bring home the fact that we don't know who the hell this blonde guy is and is – in his queen's home that's <laughs> shooing away his wife. And my favorite part, um, and, and this is why I like Marvel comics, is because they involve things that real people like regular-ass people uh, can enjoy and relate to, as opposed to DC that's more of a ethereal, uh, emotional-based type thing in terms of like – emotion and science this is emotion in real life in marvel mm-hmm. and he's he senses that his wife is might have betrayed him she's sensing her cosmic powers that are awakening inside of her and he thinks she's betrayed her wham open door you see that action shot yeah he looks into her eyes as she cries and he sees he's let me read it for for long seconds he looks into tearing eyes, staring with an intense intensity that could crumble mountains, searching for any hint of betrayal. Only love. Now I'm not getting I'm not getting sentimental. That's what they wrote. But that's what they wanted you to feel. That's what that's it we're getting to the, the better meat and potatoes as opposed to you got meat and potatoes at chilies. We're getting to a a, a three star Michelin restaurant at the end of this. And why we're doing this in the first place, and we're sensing Captain Mar- Marvel, Marvel, as opposed to Miss Marvel, mm-hmm. which uh, you got to look up because you're going to get confused about who is Captain Marvel or Marvel or Marvel or Miss Marvel or oh, save it. Yeah, yeah, we'll get that. That's for another time. Uh, we see Hercules. 
jesting with uh, <laughs> Scarlet Witch with her wonderful 80s or late 70s quaff. I love it. And, uh, and the wizard. The wizard is brought into because Tony Stark is desperate for any sort of sense. He thinks that only the newer Avengers are being erased, and he's trying to bring in older Avengers to uh, try to figure out this mystery about why they're getting wiped out and, and disappearing. And uh, the wizard is there, and I'm laughing my ass off. I had to fucking Google this guy, and I'm laughing my ass off. That's his <laughs> name. He, he looks like old Uncle Ben from from uh, fucking uh, Spider-Man 1. <laughs> Cliff Robertson? Yeah, Yeah, Cliff Robertson. And, uh, yeah, I got to go. I'm going to give you guys some, like, some basic knowledge, but <laughs> the world does not need the wizard now. You're correct. And... Uh, <laughs> We encounter an older man uh, whittling away an effigy yeah, on a ship. This old man on a Russian steamer headed towards the U.S. whittling an image of the Scarlet Witch. Two panels, nothing. They, nothing. Don't, they don't bring him up in this story. When the whole story ends, they never bring that guy back at all. Like, I had no idea what was that. what that was. So, yeah, therein lies another aspect of the frustration. <laughs> and we, we get to the point at this issue where finally they come to the realization, well, wait a minute, Tony Stark, where isn't working? Let's use the giant floating uh, orbital station to maybe figure out where the hell everything's going. And we end up in a phone booth sized in our physical universe, spaceship, that is a uh, TARDIS-esque, where it's bigger on the inside, and they they meet the Collector. We don't meet a uh, like we don't the meet the enemy. We don't meet a blonde guy with a hot no. wife in a in a no. leisure suit. No. We don't meet, we meet it's the Collector, and you're like the Collector. What? What? And you're like that's that's not Benicio del Toro. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. like. But but if you compare side by side his cowl, the color scheme is yeah. kind of similar. They they if you compare Collector at the end of this with Guardian Galaxy number one, uh, it's <laughs> if it's not too overly lit, it's kind of similar. Let me He's make a, this succinct. Okay, all right, give it to me. Give the, it to me. The Avengers who who arrive there are like the more powerful they are the more easily they are dispelled by the collector oh great observation i didn't realize and then, that and then hawkeye he's just like yeah but i can just, i'm just gonna shoot i don't know fuck yeah, he's, we're, I, we're, I love what he does he shoots we're moving on into we're moving on into the next issue 174 yeah, 170 is that what it, yeah 174 so Hawkeye is able to shoot the collector just long enough to distract him and then fire another arrow that ricochets perfectly off of a bunch of crap to frazz out some stuff and release all of the Avengers and the collector knows he's ruined. So he's like, okay, look, guys, I'm you I'm just gonna tell you what's going on. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like what a crappy way to do that. But then I started looking at it and I was like, because there is a payoff that made it totally worth it and made it make sense. He goes in and gives you a little, gives the Avengers a little like, hey, this is what my life is all about and how it happened and blah, blah, blah. And I foretold all of this stuff because I'm immortal. And then it unfortunately jumps back to Korvac and his wife. And he is 
sensing what the collector is going to do. The collector is telling them, I captured you all. I collected this entire thing, everything, my in, entire in, life. In mint condition, by the way, exactly. which is why Thor couldn't remember things, is he was transporting Thor through different time zones, and that's why he didn't remember uh, fighting any battles with uh, Wonder Man, uh, because he was erasing his memory, because that's so convenient that uh, <laughs> the Korvac captures uh, Thor uh, and defeats him in the Thor annual we started this with mm -hmm. and freezes him in space. But uh, the Collector can just conveniently recapture Thor, displace him, to move him away from major battles that the Avengers are having until, like, the very end when he shows up and, like, whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Conveniently wiping his mind out. <laughs> he comes down to it and he's like... I've been taking things and secreting, secreting them in my, in my stuff forever to make sure that one pristine iteration of everything exists past this enormous calamity that I, I prophesized to take place. And I was like, oh my god, that, in, that makes that the collector make sense. That makes that him a payoff. benevolent god in, 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 instead of a self-centered well, prick like we got in the movie. I'm going to take it a little mm -hmm. bit further. Yeah. Is because, yeah, he was a self-centered prick in the movie, but can you imagine if you were in any way some sort of cosmic entity that was seeing and fast forward uh, everything that humanity is going through and seeing ISIS blowing shit up, seeing the Romans destroy uh, beautiful things mm -hmm. uh, and just taking them before they're destroyed. Completely. I mean, right there, the right there and there, you have to start looking at the Asimov, the Isaac Asimov quality of like foundation and uh, what it's a beautiful a future science. Uh, I gotta find. I'd have to look it up to figure out what it is. It actually. No, I, li I like that you say that because it, it involves science. Because <laughs> science is is the study of all that's living, all that's been. Archaeology yeah. is all that's been. And you're studying relics, and you're often studying things that are destroyed, or or half in piece, or you might get lucky and find something that's total. The the collector is just like, no, this is worthy. This Psycho is psychohistory. That's what it is. <clears throat> Beautiful. I love that term. I only encountered that a couple of times in my. Uh, it was a four thousand level class I took when we were studying. Um, Post-humanism. That's what I'm saying. And, uh, it's like when you get when you get into Isaac Asimov's Foundation series, it's the idea that you're going to have a you can prophesy to a certain degree what's going to happen with an entire civilization or culture, and that like they did like Star Trek: The Mirror Universe does that, and then also uh, there are episodes of Deep Space Nine that touch on that with the uh, genetically engineered guys who are too smart to operate in regular society foretelling or forecasting the uh you know the big bang and then everything comes back together in a big crunch correct i'm that's fa this this aspect changes my entire perspective on the collector i will never think of the collector in the same way again agreed agreed and and, and like it it adds a bit of like a uh, humanist version where like you can relate that if you're that if you're that obsessed <clears throat> with this particular sense of science and have that sort of cosmic power, and then sense that Korvac is 
on Earth, and we're, I gotta make sure we we don't glance over this uh, because he he sent his only daughter there to destroy Korvac or in some way seduce him. Like, they don't really go too into it about. I'm gonna. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but ultimately, I'm gonna say that it was a distraction. Korvac, Complete distraction. Korvac was like any god up here in most fiction and most stories ends up being more or less lonely. And by taking this woman as his wife, he imbued well, her with cosmic on. power like his. We'll, we'll get there, but he didn't view Korvac didn't imbue him with cosmic power. She already had it. Well, that she's makes the sense. Okay, that makes she, sense she, because, of course, she has the power cosmic. She she's the daughter of 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 uh, one of one of the uh, elders. What is he part of? The elders. The it elders of the, the universe. Yeah, the game master uh, so she, is his brother, and yeah, she, she, there's like eight of them, something like that. Um, the, there is a the great celestials and the eternals. Yeah, but then there's the brotherhood of of of, of game master and collector. Uh, the, are you there's of champion and are you not thinking about the characters from the Thanos quest? Are you? N- yes, I am because they mention oh, all the of the gardener, them. the champion, yeah. the runner, yeah. the uh, etc. Yeah, I mean we're not talking about Master Chaos and Mistress yeah. Death and Order but, but, and stuff but, like that. But there's still personifications of uh, all-encompassing yeah. things. The way that the Sandman made death, destruction, yeah. dream, um, whatever. Well, she slowly realizes she has these cosmic powers. And during this, after the fact that he has only seen love inside of her and that she's not going to betray him, and she senses and finally tells him and realizes her purpose on Earth was to seduce him, and she doesn't flat out say, I don't remember her saying she was going to destroy him, but you're right, more like distract. Mm-hmm. Um, and to distract he's him like, from this terrible purpose. Right, and he's like, hold on, let me go outside for a second, and he, like, right when the Avengers are going to land the knockout punch to throw him in jail or whatever cosmic prison they'll put him in, all of a sudden the, the collector is just wiped out of existence, just boom, and and this blonde guy, who we've been saying is Korvac, uh, oh, your dad's dead. <laughs> Sorry exactly. about that. What a prick move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right when it's, it's just like every story where the villain is just about to explain his entire thing and he's <laughs> down to the last second and then gets wiped out somehow. And you're like, damn it, damn yeah. it, damn it. He was just about to tell us everything. You want to go back? That's Star yeah. Trek Five or Star Trek Six, guys. Uh, yeah. Korvac just is like, oh, oh, he's your dad. Okay, you're not going to betray me, but I'm going to kill him for sending you here. Poof, he's gone. Avengers are like, huh? <laughs> but dude, oh I my completely... God. Okay, so switching to By the next the silver... issue, because oh, it on, ends hold on. right there in 174. Oh, hold on, you got to read this. Uh, Wonder Man's, oh my God. <laughs> Hercules is, by the silver bow of Apollo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then we see the the smoldering hand of Korvac and his blonde hair outside in his queen's lawn as as the collector's daughter is really I love the, the screen door. She's like <laughs> screen she's, door. I don't know why, but it just it, it I couldn't take it seriously. This this like all powerful guy 
in this unassuming place with his like bemoaned wife in the background in her nightgown or whatever. With the and exclamation points of, of exasperation. Exactly. Holding her. In, in, in front of this screen door and there, the, like the wood grain motif everywhere, it just made me think of romance comics from, uh, it was total from, the, romance. Er, from the 50s and 60s. I don't know why. This was, this was a lot of romance. It was great. And then we go to 175 and we go to the cover of 175, which is actually the back cover of your Trey yeah, Pedrack right. you're holding the banner right now. And which is so much more dynamic. And uh, so Collectors vanished. All of the Avengers, really Captain America, Thor, Hercules, Quicksilver, Yocasta, Iron Man, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Black Widow. Uh, Moon Dragon. Uh, Moon Dragon, Black, uh, Black Panther, Hawkeye, Wonder, Wonder Man, Man. Uh, yep. uh, uh, Janet Pym, Hank Pym, and... Uh, Two-Gun Kid and Captain Two-Gun Marvel. Kid and Captain Marvel. And, like, and, and where the hell did the beast go? Now, oh, I know, well, like, well, yeah, tell me about that. I figured that out, but tell me about it. They mentioned that we're going to, uh, beast, beast got called, called away for a different saga. So it, I'm going to say it was 78, so I'm thinking, wow, I'm spacing because, like, around that it's time. Totally, they actually tell us what it is, and it's like, I want to go in and check it out, but I'm like, you yeah, but get around Beast to run off in the middle of world-ending well, calamity. He's, he's an X-Men. That's he. He never. He's always there for the X-Men. But the thing about that sort of time was when uh, X-Men started getting really bad. Uh, no one was buying it, mm-hmm. and they start. They started re-releasing X-Men, uh, yeah. classic X-Men, not classic X-Men that you bought in the early nineties. They started re-releasing old issues of X-Men as new issues of X-Men. I remember, yeah. Well, I don't and remember, but I'm totally aware of it. I, I'm not I'm not I'm not 100% sure this is that time, but I'm pretty sure it's around close to that. But I can't think of anything that happened in the late 70s other than Wolverine showing up and um well, Wolverine showed up um they did giant giant X-Men and um Giant size X-Men, and then the new mutants showed up, but I don't remember Beast being that big of a part of it. But, um, so, <clears throat> Collector's gone, and I, I'm, I'm, this, this, you flip to the second page, and Thor is swinging his hammer, he's got Moondragon, who the hell is hanging off of him? Oh, Patsy Walker, the Hellcat. <laughs> I don't remember her being that at all! When the hell was the Hellcat in this at all? Oh, she's not. They're talking about Thor 225 and 263. Okay, okay. So we're, we're zooming in. That's during the Odin quest, which is a, it's a Thor-specific saga. All right, so they're all being dropped on Earth, and uh, Scarlet Witch finds herself plummeting to her death. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Not yet, quite yet. I, I appreciate this because at the they're like, oh, hey, well, we're up here in the Collector's freaking... God lab. Uh, let's That's check some shit out and see what we can figure out. Iron Man's like, oh my god, there's got to be something here. And he's like, nope, it's turned into dust also. But there's a time machine, and this is beautiful, because Two Gun Kid... Hey, yeah, you guys are cool, but I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> I gotta, well, this seems like a great opportunity to correct a mistake. Let's send me home, and then... <laughs> It, oh man! Farewell, I gotta say that, that yeah, he like has his hat off and he's he's shaking hands with Hawkeye in the background, and I'm like, oh man, it would have been awesome if they were 
like a couple. <laughs> I was looking at the way that their body language was, and it, where I was like, it would have been pretty amazing if Hawkeye and Two Gun Kin had been a couple there. That that would have worked. That would have worked because they had a really good compadre or camaraderie. Camaraderie. And, and uh, let me tell you, years after saying... the fact, I believe that the Two Gun Kid is actually supposed to be gay. They hinted it at like uh, someone else being gay. They hinted at someone else being gay in this earlier, and I and I was gonna say it, and then we got on a roll. Let me. I'm gonna look it up while you carry on with the story. All right. So Two Gun Kid disappears. Uh, everyone shows up on Earth. Uh, this poor bus driver. We've got a couple of poor <laughs> bus drivers. Uh, Captain Marvel saves Wanda, plummeting her death. Uh, and we get another gay joke here because uh, <laughs> Hawkeye lands on a flagpole. And he's like, hey, speaking of bailing out, how about uh, one of you flying types give me a hand? I'm, I'm all out of arrows and flagpole sitting's not not <laughs> my style. Sitting. <laughs> and, and then we go back to Korvac. He just gets out of his of his 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 suburban pool he's he's drying himself off and he senses his wife is half naked in lingerie in bed still crying and he just comes to her and they make passionate cosmic love they connect the way you wanted to connect with your first your first time when it meant something and but this like in in one one page, they make love the way that he fought uh, Starhawk. Oh my gosh, what a way to portray that. And it, is as, it is as cosmically powerful. It I, happened. Yeah, it is, this, is, this, this is two pages of backstory simultaneously, two characters connecting. They are coming together in a way that only Starhawk and Alita would be able to understand. And uh, and we're simultaneously getting the entire backstory of Korvac and going, oh, so that's who this guy's supposed to be. But this is where it starts happening. Yeah. This is where it starts happening, because Korvac is on a interdimensional... I'm gonna, I am going to defeat everybody without them even actually knowing. And I've already erased my existence from being detected from all the most big Marvel heavy hitters, the Watcher, Odin, Mephisto, Galactus, no, not Galactus, uh, they, Zeus uh, and, uh, Zeus. Yeah. And, and especially the, the end all be all eternity. And they make love in a sense that it's, we're connected. And, he has a struggle with it. Like, like he doesn't hit her or anything like that, but he definitely has a few scenes where he throws her to the ground, holds her, and holds her. He restrains her quite a few times, and she's in peril, but she still trusts him. And yeah, this is this is uh, what we're seeing there in that moment is, of course, across multiple moments in the story. It's not all at once. <clears throat> Correct, and this is when it's finally revealed. That he is Korvac, and they show the 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 quick four-headed metamorphosis of the blonde suburban guy to the overly shaded eyes and cheekbones to the turning into the head of Korvac with the 
like it, like we talked about earlier, where he's wearing the lame machine uh, machine man type uh, mm-hmm, headdress mm-hmm. that's torn, his eyes missing, and he's repelling and, and pissed off at the guardians for defeating him. And this is where he's disappeared to. Yeah, and where we find how he has actually come to his cosmic abilities, where he has metamorphosized from being a half human. Half robot or cyborg, android. What is it? Oh, he's a cyborg because it's he's half he's part machine, he's part man in that in that time. Correct. He how does it go? Teleporting inside the immense complex, Korvac has quickly discovered that it was the deserted command base of the legendary Galactus, which that's where it was. He ends up in the giant space station that. The Guardians of the Galaxy, they never explained how they got into there, uh, showed up at the beginning of the Korvac saga early when we were first talking about it. And uh, Nick Fury is terrified that this thing is going to get too close and destroy the space station. He plugs into it and gets cosmic power as a god. More power than Galactus, which was weird, but why not? (laughs) Some of us are just born lucky. Yep. And... He meets this woman, marries her, and we're on Earth. And he's looking to take over the universe, but then you have to rewind. He, he wants to back. be a benevolent ruler is the thing. I, I agree. I agree. But you got to rewind in, to all the times when we're like, who the hell is this blonde guy in Queens? Uh-huh. And he's, he's dealing with all the things I would imagine a benevolent ruler would be dealing with if he was shaking off the shackles of humanity. And ending into the pure, absolute, he loves this woman. She is not going to betray him. She, he thought, he detected betrayal, but it wasn't there. And Even though she lies the distraction. Exactly. Thank you. I'm actually realizing at this moment that the, the point that they're trying to make in the story that is so... Tied to all of the relationship content that I've been absorbing for, you know, five, six months. No, or more like your whole life because you're a sucker for romance comics. <laughs> yeah. I'm not making well, fun of the, you. I'm not making thing, fun like, of when, you. I know it. When you and I were talking, I, I, the reason you can't get enough romance comics is the illustrations and the exasperation and the, like, rapture and the the things that people are experiencing in them and the way they're portrayed on the page it's just so beautiful um but uh without to to be really quick about it it's this idea that this man korvac has a purpose he has a he has a he has a mission and he has a purpose as all men do and This woman was sent to him to distract him from that by the collector. The collector did not want to see this guy come to fruition. and But he also had a backup plan to collect everything and protect it from that happening. <clears throat> so that's what I appreciate about him in this now and now after like forevermore. I'll always get that about him. But... You, uh, the stuff that I've been reading basically lays it down that, you know, as a man, you have your mission, you have your purpose, and you have to be driven towards that. 
and the best time to meet and encounter a, 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 a woman or a person of your polaric gender opposite is when you are most confident and most driven in your goals because you will never be more who you are than when you are succeeding on that road and it's fascinating because he is progressing on a time schedule day by day towards this manifesting all he has to do is just keep himself secret from the powers of the universe and if he can now, just get to that point he will overshadow them in power to the point where they would have to just capitulate to him and there would not be a gigantic battle and that's what he's afraid of happening with the Avengers because he's coming to realize the character and honor that they have and that he doesn't want that's to have why to destroy he was them. them. That's why he was collecting them at those specific points. Yeah. Because they were at their best. And we do have to mention oh, I'm also uh, that saying Korvac. Korvac doesn't want to fight them either. Uh, agreed. And, and we got to mention that uh, when they fought the Collector, that the, the Avengers, the, the four remaining Avengers, found <laughs> the rest of them that were kidnapped and disappeared in, like, s cylinders, uh, mm -hmm. suspended in, in time and space uh, as a collection. And they freed everybody, like we mentioned, we, we named everyone off earlier, and now they're back on Earth. Korvac destroyed the Collector, said, sorry, babe, killed your dad, and uh, they realized the true enemy. And they, they get back to Earth, and uh, we are fast-forwarding. To Avengers number 176, which is the cover of your trade paperback. Right. Yeah, look, look, what I, look what I got here. Oh, nice. Yeah, then yeah, compare, yeah. Then compared to the shitty colored version you got in 2012. Let me find it. Let's like, they reverted on that. Now, I'm so glad you brought up the romance version of this. Because this is why I mentioned when we were discussing, talking about doing this issue last night, why I brought up how, uh, regrettably, I'm not the best boyfriend. When I chase someone, I get them, and all of a sudden I'm like, why are you still here? Right. But Korvac gotcha. got to the point where he got the girl, and he got to the point where he's still here, and then realized this girl's not going anywhere, and this girl loves him. This woman absolutely loves him, and which is pivotal to what happens at the end. And they make cosmic, powerful love. It doesn't rattle all the uh, buildings in uh, the in neighboring the area in the tri-state area, but it definitely transcends Earth, space, and time. And just the way the fight he did with uh, with Starhawk. Yeah. Now we come to. 176, and it's revealed, and Starhawk is flying in, and Moon Dragon. This, guys, if, if you've been reading the recent issues of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Moon Dragon is in it, but it's not really Moon Dragon. Take it. It's not really Moon Dragon. Yeah, remember Moon Dragon is from a different dimension. It's a different oh, version. Oh, I'm sorry. Of yeah, you're talking about the con the modern materials. The the modern material. <clears throat> Uh, she senses she senses emotion. Everyone's back, and they're 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 squabbling in. Pietro is fighting with Hawkeye, and she's seeing everything happen. Uh, she's seeing that uh, Wonder Man, or right. am I saying the right one? 
is still just a pussy. He's the whole time in this entire he's, story. He's, he's dealing with the concern that he might be a coward. It, it, yeah, exactly. And he's and they deal with it in a little bit when he talks about like I felt what it's like to die, and I don't want to go through that again. These guys have not gone through that, and as opposed to you know being reanimated or that sort of thing, and. We're, we're having a... They're squabbling in. It's a lot of squabbling. But then Miss Marvel gets her seventh sense again and sends off uh, Hank Pym and Janet. And uh, all of a sudden, all of them realize that there's a uh, ripple in... in Not real. I want to say reality. Something's wrong on Earth. Probably reality. It's not going to be time, necessarily. <clears throat> and they got to get there. And that's when Iron Man... Who uh, we gotta say and, and reiterate this? They've all been stripped of their NSA, government, anything. They can't use Quinjets. They can't use the computers. Anything. They, they even called Nick Fury, and he's like, "Yeah, you guys. Uh, I you don't guys know why." Son of Yeah. Like, he, I don't know how you get the Nick number. Fury was like, uh, "Go pound sand, guys." Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I don't know why Tony Stark gave you this number, but uh, peace. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. And uh, which makes no sense to me, considering that he's calling to everybody for help uh, at the beginning of the story when his space station is about to get destroyed or getting a little too close to Galactus's uh, piloted by the future Guardians oh, of the Galaxy. <clears throat> and and we get to the other jokes that are happening because we see them constantly taking civilian transport, trains, planes, and now we're going by bus. Uh, because they, they they can't take a Quin, Quinjet, so uh, Iron Man uh, commandeers a bus <laughs> and realizes after uh, calculating using the Galactus-powered uh, space station that everything that has been happening has been calculated at this tiny little house in Queens. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny because all the civilians in the neighborhood are just like, uh, if those guys are showing up, some serious crap's about to go down, and I'm going to see some property damage. Yeah, we're, we're going to have some serious collateral damage. Oh, but don't worry. It just, it's one of those things like, uh, do you ever see uh, uh, You Don't Mess With the Zohan, the Adam Sutherland movie? I've seen most of it, I think. I kind of can't sit through the whole when, thing. When there's, when there's some collateral damage, he like this dude's store gets blown up, and he like... Zohan throws him, like, ninja stars him this card and he catches it, and it's like collateral damage repair courtesy of Israeli government. Oh, call yeah. this number. <laughs> and uh, that's like, don't worry, Tony Stark will take care of everything. Tony Stark will also pay for the taxis for all you guys we just kicked out of this bus, and oh, we yeah. showed up and we knock on the door of a guy, <laughs> and we go to 177, the last one. Yeah. Basically, they knock on the door, Korvac opens the door, and he's like, there's nothing to see here. They zip around the house, they look at, you know, like they're checking out everything, and they're like, there's Janet nothing Hank wrong. are like, nothing here. Nothing I here. I cannot believe that Iron Man is the one who's standing there, and he's just like, like, like Hawkeye's like, oh, we've got a huge lawsuit on our hands. We have found nothing. We've come this far and found nothing, and Iron Man is like, everybody, use everything you've got. I can't believe there's nothing here. Everybody checks, and everybody's like, nope, nope, nothing. But then that that bit that happened where Star Starhawk... Who are you talking to? <laughs> Sorry? No, no, no. Starhawk is like, 
like this is why I told you not to skim it when you reread it today. No, I totally uh, got this. Starhawk yeah. gets to that point and he's like, uh, keep saying that, man. I read the whole thing, all right? Starhawk. I know, but <laughs> just give me some shit because you're like, I skimmed a lot of it. And I'm like, dude, no, there's so yesterday much. Yesterday when I was reading it, I was like, I gotta jump ahead because I gotta know where I the know, beats I know, are. Like, I know, this I'm isn't making getting, any sense. I'm only, I'm only hammering. The only reason I'm bringing it up, I'm not giving you shit. The only reason I'm doing it is because if you're, if you want to read this and have some fun, you can not skim this. It's true. It's Under true. no circumstances can you skim this. There will be. Eight, maybe nine different small panels that'll say something random that we've mentioned casually, not giving you shit. Uh, <laughs> that if you miss this panel, this thing at the last issue is not going to make sense. It's totally true. And so Starhawk is standing there and he's like, I can't, I can't, I have a hard time with his personality there because he's like, you're making a fool of me. And I just don't see Starhawk being that guy. But he's basically, he's saying like, there's nobody here. Korvac ruined himself by creating, like, you think of, like, how Odin enchanted the hammer to right. make Thor happen the way he happens. The it's opposite almost of an that. enchantment. Starhawk cannot detect Korvac at all. And he's standing in front of him, and he's like, I can't believe you guys can't see that this guy isn't there. But that's what it is. Who are you, the, who are you talking to? Exactly. You're, you're deceiving me. Like, what the hell's going on? You're playing a trick on me. And that's when shit goes haywire. Yeah. And we see almost all of the Avengers, except Captain America and Thor and Moondragon, get murdered. In, and this is, this is why I get so pissed off about certain, uh, a lot of Marvel events. Is Like, I brought it up last night. You, you see the end of Siege. Yeah. The Sentry destroys Asgard in this amazing splash page. You open it up, he booms through it, destroys this town of Oklahoma, is destroyed. And then in one small panel, you see the Thor just hammering away at him, and all of a sudden he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah, but when... I, yeah, really, the, the, I, I the, didn't realize that was where that came from. And... <clears throat> And uh, everyone's dying. This guy has godlike powers enough to shield himself against the existence of all the most powerful heavy hitters. And while this is happening, all the heavy hitters, because he's going full force against the Avengers, start noticing. And he's like, you have brought the worst on me. I was happy. I was happy. Yeah, pretty much and, the distraction was working. Uh, Mephisto, Odin, Infinity, Galactus, you name it. All of a sudden start recognizing this person's in existence. Beyond his original human to cybernetic to godlike powers. And every every single except uh, Moondragon, Captain America, and Thor dies at his hands. And at the last moment when he's about to die... Or he's he's about to not about to die. He's about to like do his like heavy head sledgehammer move, kill everyone in the room. His wife is like, boop, and then he's dead. <laughs> wait a minute, like and even then, like I was like, wait a minute, he's dead. 
And then literally, yeah, he's dead. And then the wife is, uh, yeah, I saw what he was doing, and uh, I killed him. And uh, now I have to die myself. She essentially uh, tricks them into killing her also. She does. She does. But even then, like, how could they have really done that? She really wiped herself away in in Korvac himself. And then we end up with Moondragon and Thor. And I'm glad we brought this up because this was back when Thor was uh, uh, Donald... um, Donald Blake, yeah. Donald Blake. And Moondragon's like, listen... Then that means this precedes Walt Simonson's um, Thor and Beta Walt Ray and, Bill. Walt and Louise Simonson. You got to say the same ones because mm. those guys did the best Thor. Uh, you're you're correct. So that happens, and Moondragon says, "Hey, strike your hammer, turn back into Donald Blake." The Avengers are still alive. Korvac and his wife are gone. The threat is over, and you're slowly gonna not remember this. But she only said that. To herself. Like, you're slowly not going to remember this. Right, right, yeah. He, he strikes he strikes Mjolnir down, turns back into the stick, turns back into Donald Blake, and he's reviving people. And she starts crying. And here is the... Here is the... Take it away. The fade away? The take, the take away? Well, I mean, so you've got this on, on the app, right? Yeah. Okay, great, yeah. I mean... The entire Avengers and Guardians team that was involved with this, minus the ones who had to get up and go have tea with Magneto or whatever, uh, Beast. Um, like I don't know, I don't know why he's not here. They are at the gravesite of Michael and Karina Korvac. And you're, 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 actually, I don't have that one. You're in one seventy eight now. Oh, is that one seventy eight? It doesn't. Yeah. Uh, it just this ends. The the this app is the ends, epilogue, actually. The, the the app ends with Moondragon crying. Who is the real enemies? Who who are the real? Oh, I know here? that is such a harsh moment, because that's the whole thing. You've got a guy that has to assume his future purpose, but he has been distracted by the love, and all he has to do is maintain himself. But he knows that the Avengers will be the forefront of any assault against him. Whatever incarnation of uh, the Avengers that, that might be at the time it happens. But because of his, in- his enchantment, if you want to call it that, on Starhawk, Starhawk detects this and then it all starts. And everybody gets killed and that's exactly as it was prophesized to happen. So, but then none of these other superpowered characters have to get involved. Eternity and everybody else, etc. Because I'm surprised Doom didn't recognize if something was happening. Well, they, it would have been interesting to throw him in there, but I just don't think that way back that they necessarily would. And this is this is as old as I am. I don't think that in the '70s they were always just thinking like we should do something and like have Doom recognize this. This was a lot of fun. This was, man, like, I, I, I'm so disappointed that they didn't, yeah, I don't have that. You don't that, have that's that? The next, oh, wow, all right. It, it's the next issue. I'm sure it's in the next issue that's on the app, but, uh, oh, damn, dude, you really fucked up your ankle. Yeah, I was just trying to set it up on the chair, and it's, I can't even touch it. It's not the ankle, it's the heel. I cannot set my heel down. Um, the, uh, so I think it's probably 
bruised and separated from my foot, but it's not broken. Anyway, um, yeah, it, it is a lot of fun because it's, it's great to see this lineup of Avengers. I constantly encounter people and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, like what's your, what's your favorite lineup of the Avengers? And they're like, oh, you know, Beast and, and uh, Vision and, you know, the original three plus a bunch of other guys. Somehow or another, that lineup really, really works. So this was this was pre West Coast Avengers, uh, Avengers, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it feels like it may have been. No, no, because uh, when Hawkeye and Two Gun were coming yeah, back from the West Coast, that's, that's my confusion. I thought the my, the first time I ever encountered West Coast Avengers was when like Nomad showed up in the early nineties. Oh, I and, love Nomad. Yeah, but uh. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot. You know, there's. It's, it's fun to read something from this time period because a lot of stuff that we're familiar with hasn't happened yet. The stuff yeah. that really happened in our lifetime. And did you think did, about how important this story is to the Avengers in particular? And like, this is when I was born, dude. Like, right. They were writing. Like, Jim Shooter was involved in writing this, or not necessarily writing it, but like. Editing he wrote this yeah. when, when I was Get some guys. born, man. I mean, some of the most important stories happened 40-plus years ago. That's uh, why the... Man, this was this should have been a huge rock in a suspension pond. Sending, <laughs> yeah. rip, sending I mean, ripples. It's an anchor story. But, but it, they've never done anything. Like, like I'm like... For all you minefielders that braved through this with us and have never heard of Korvac before, and you're like, how the hell has, is this guy not one of the biggest, baddest Marvel bad guys? We don't know. He shows up, like, if you just get on... That's the crazy thing, is that he does reappear. You get on and Google Korvac, and, uh, and you're going to see other, more recent iterations of him... In uh, as this in powerful depictions, oh, to a degree more powerful sometimes, and it's a question of like who's going to uh, uh, who's going to utilize him properly, or what's going to actually happen in that story. I mean, I'm looking at it and I'm seeing so many different covers. And so many different artist interpretations of Korvac that you know that he's come back a bunch of different times. Dude, uh, I've great. I've got a great idea, hmm. and uh, we got to wind down. Yeah, because you got to go to bed. But you got to recognize, guys, that Korvac wasn't really the enemy in this one. Yeah, that's the, Aven- kind of the point. The, the, that's that's exactly the point. The Avengers ruined this guy's happiness. I sincerely doubt he was going to end up in some. Uh, 10,000 years or millennia from now ruling over as a despot like glad everyone's dead and everyone's mechanical. He was literally happy with his wonderful wife and the Avengers literally showed up at his house and knocked on his door and fucked it all up. Yeah. And uh, that's what what the problem was at the end when uh, Moondragon cursed herself to be the only one that remembers as uh, Donald Blake slowly forgets what's going on to not have that sort of burden, and and then and then it's over, and then and then we've got other Avenger stories, 
but oh, it was yeah. a hell of a, it was a hell of a lot of fun. It was it was definitely something that you had to challenge yourself to read. Um, I doubt it would be something that you challenge yourself to read if you were in seventies and buying this off the off the rack at the at the local Seven uh, Eleven. I can it, only it, imagine how frustrating it would have been to read this and not know what was going on or how it was going to end. Or I doubt they would have cared. Constantly I, I, like, getting duped. <laughs> I, I doubt they would have cared. I thought they would have been like, "Who the hell is this blonde asshole? Get me the Ultron and this other bad guy." Great, like. Yeah. Great. It, next issue, please. Next bad guy. And you and I are in the future examining <laughs> we this. We are in the future. <laughs> examining this, and we're the ones being like, who's this blonde guy? <laughs> like yeah. uh, the like like watching like a, a, a spy movie. Like, wait a minute. That blonde guy had some shifty eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's some shifty eyes there. <laughs> like, well, he's in the next scene. But, uh, yeah, Minefielders. Let us know what you thought. I don't know. Uh, I feel like we went into egregious detail on this on this story. We uh, had to. It was it was a it was the toughest hard tack beef jerky to chew through. But uh, in the end, it's still all your favorite characters, and it was a lot of fun. There's nothing nothing doing there. I don't know if it was the best, most mapped out thing, but in the end, the Oh, the uh, overarching concepts that bring it home really worked, and I don't know if I've ever seen them try to do something this ambitious uh, again that wasn't a cross-title promotional event. Yeah, that was a weird thing. There wasn't like a, like New Avengers one uh, one eighty four through one twenty eight as a side story. It was all completely within the uh, pages of the Avengers. Yeah, totally. This is just them, yeah. and usually, I mean, more often than not, you have like the terminus factor or something, and it's just going to be, it's going to have a, it's going to have a log t- or a title or whatever. Anyway, yeah. uh, last thing I got to say about anything we were talking about, Two Gun Kid. It's Rawhide Kid, another cowboy character from way back. Uh, Stanley, did Stanley do that? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Created by Stanley and Bob Brown. Uh, and then Jack Kirby and Stan Lee when they did a second iteration of him. Uh, he is the character that was depicted in, as gay uh, in his uh, limited series, in his appearances in uh, Avengers and West Coast Avengers 2003 and 2010. Uh, everything great about that. <clears throat> Why not? This has some fun. But hey, minefields, minefielders, MFers. This is my best friend, Colin, in the world. We had a lot of fun. Ha- Let us know what you thought. Colin and Josh at Minefields Podcast. Minefields Pod... Comics. Minefield... Colin and Josh at MinefieldsComicsPodcast.com. <laughs> Comics is that. plural. We're yeah, just going to shorten that. it to S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> All right, thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you in a while. This is dangerous. This transmission is over.